All sports, all the time. There's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered. Legends never die. This is the Spoken Podcast. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. I'm your host, Lance Twidwell. Man, that kid, he can ball, man. He can ball. Touchdown, Kansas City! Man with freaking Mahomes, baby! Uh, let's talk some sports, because that's what we're here to do. You are tuned in to the Spoken. Spoken. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Lance Twidwell. This is the Spoken Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Twidwell. Here inside the Spoken Studios, my guys, Trevor Twidwell and Eddie Ortiz. Yo, yo, yo. Episode 179 in full swing, full motion. We are so happy to be here with you guys and for you to be here with us. Whether you are live streaming, whether you are podcasting, or you are YouTubing with us, thank you so much for making time with us this week as we have a lot to get to when it comes to the world of sports, in particular here in Kansas City with our Kansas City Chiefs, because for the first time we can actually talk about loosely real football, if you want to call it that. I know I have my opinions. I'm sure a lot of people have theirs as far as what real football is and if this is actually real football. But nevertheless, preseason football is here. We had a lot of takeaways from the game that we saw just yesterday, which was Saturday in August. Whenever you're listening to this or watching this, it may be a little bit delayed or dated, but... We are here to discuss that today, and we're really excited for you guys to be here with us. If you have not already done it, we would love for you to go to our YouTube channel, go ahead and hit subscribe, and help us monetize this bad boy, because we're trying to make this thing grow. we got some great things coming your guys' way when it comes to just the overall quality. I feel like we have some good quality content here already, but we're trying to spruce this bad boy up, trying to put some lipstick on this pig, if you will, and I hope you guys are ready for a great show that we have today for you guys. First and foremost, Eddie, Trevor, how you guys doing today, man? You guys feeling good? You guys ready for the show? Fantastic. That's what I like to hear. That's the optimism we like to have. Trevor likes to spread that serial optimism around here. We're going to continue to go down that path because there's a lot of reasons to be feeling really good about this team. Um, But let me me go ahead and preface and get out of the way of some of the things that I had noticed before the game even started out. I don't know if anybody was paying attention to the uh, conditions of Soldier Field out there in Chicago, but that that was absolutely abysmal. I know that they supposedly had had a a concert a few days before the, the game kicked off, but... That that field was atrocious, and and for for athletes, professional athletes, to have to go onto that field and play, uh, I think it's a damn near miracle that there was there wasn't a ton of injuries on that field because it, it looked like a chewed up field. I've seen abandoned high school fields. I've played on better abandoned high school fields than what they yeah, like called they, that it out like they there. Did a rodeo the night before it was terrible, field, man. Yeah. It looked like somebody like took a shotgun and shot the field five hundred times. That's what it looked like. It just it was it was absolutely abysmal. I I mean I feel like we should just go right to hold this L because they should be handed in, be handed an L for that atrocious shit of a football field as Eddie would have liked to call it. Um, but. I have a stance uh, on preseason football. I know that a lot of people don't agree with me, and, and boy, you guys love to express that opinion on my opinion <laughs> in a lot of ways. But I, 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 I'm I very much opposed to preseason football, especially for star players. Uh, a lot of reasons in particular is the fact that, I, I again, I don't like seeing injuries to key players in games that don't essentially really matter, especially you got, for guys that are, are safe and are going to make this team without question. Um, but there, there's other reasons as well. For one, we've seen the results of other teams. Uh, we saw the Rams over the last several years not play their starters in preseason football. Oh, and the Rams just won the Super Bowl uh, this last year. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, a guy that we love to talk about, one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of football, 
hasn't played a single snap in preseason football since 2018, and since then has won two back-to-back MVPs and has led this team to a 39-11 and record and went to back-to-back NFC Championship games in that span. So preseason football is essentially, in my opinion, I know this pisses off a lot of people because I, I get it. We want to see our players play. We want to see these guys out there on the football field because that's what we do. That's what we wait for. And, it, and the NFL offseason, although it never really feels like there is an actual offseason because there's always yeah. news, the draft, trades, signings, things of that nature throughout the year, it never really feels like we don't ha- we have an offseason. But obviously it feels like a long time in between games. So, you know, and it is. It's six, seven months in between games. So it's, it is. It, it, it's it's good to see Patrick Mahomes out there. Good to see Travis Kelsey and all these guys. But I think we all would agree that we're really just waiting for the real games to commence. And it's not because we want to see these guys out there playing preseason. I've heard a lot of people tell me, well, I want to see Patrick Mahomes get in rhythm with these guys, these new receivers, this this these new guys that are into the system and things of that nature. But my thing is, that's what they've been doing for three or four months now. We saw, we saw Mahomes... The Mahomes camp back in April, and these guys were all out there doing their thing. When MVS got signed, Juju got signed, Skymore got drafted. These guys were out there with him. Even offensive linemen were out there with him. And this has been four months now. So these guys have, they're gelled. And and there's still veterans on this team that know the offense already. Patrick Mahomes obviously knows that he's been in this system now for six full seasons. He knows what he's doing. And if you think he needs preseason games then you don't think he's as great of a quarterback as you really thought you did. And Andy Reid and this coaching staff, as much as we praise them and talk about them being the best coaching staff in the league, it's an insult to their ability if we think that they need to go out there and run plays with these guys, which, by the way, were vanilla as fuck yesterday, and we could talk about it, and as fun as it was and as great as the, as the first team looked, it was still very vanilla. We, we could tell that they were playing it very safe. They don't need that stuff. But nevertheless, we do have preseason football to discuss, and I want to get to it because going right back to Patrick Mahomes, he sure didn't look like he needed any help, guys. He didn't look like he needed preseason in order to be on the same page with those receivers. Uh, seeing he completed six of his seven pass attempts, and all six of those pass attempts that were completed went to a different receiver. And as I tweeted out yesterday, I, I love and hate that my quarterback is such a tough guy. He really is a tough guy. Because the dude literally said on mic when he was talking to them on the sidelines with the, with the Kansas City Chiefs um, – uh, commentary and, and 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 color commentary staff that he was looking to get hit yesterday. He was he was grateful he got hit. And I well, there I goes love, your argument. Yeah, exactly. I love the toughness. <laughs> Our own quarterback I, wants to go get some contact. I love the toughness. I, I think it's great to see him be that way because you obviously want to see your quarterback be a guy that can you know fight through injury and do this. We know that he, the dude has a knee separated, and two and a half weeks later he's out there throwing four touchdowns against the Tennessee Titans, who they later faced in the AFC Championship. So. Obviously, I love that event, but I also hate it because I'm such a wrap him in bubble wrap kind of guy at this time of year. And I'm not ashamed to, I'm not, I don't feel bad about saying that because we all know this team's success is only going to go as far as Patrick Mahomes goes. And if we want to see this guy play for 20 years in the NFL, the only way he's going to do that is if he stays healthy. And I just don't want to see him take unnecessary hits and unnecessary games. That's just my personal opinion. But my God, he looked incredible yesterday. Like I said, he had six different receivers on six completions in total, got the touchdown, really used the um, the, the Bears defense attack against them because if you notice the, the throws he had they weren't like these long downfield throws you saw that the Bears defense was trying to pressure quick and get those blitzes in outside blitzes inside blitzes Eberflus is very famous for that he's a very good defensive coordinator I don't know if he's gonna be a great co- head coach but the man can draw up defense and you saw the Chiefs use that against him these little dink and dunks and I love the screenplays because as we know the Chiefs have insanely skilled players that are very fast on the outside you get these guys out there and do what they do I think this could really help the offense a lot and I think the cool thing about it is is that Patrick looked to me 
like he not only didn't miss a beat, but is determined to, to prove something. And that's something you always want to see your star players have is something to prove, a chip on their shoulder. Something I always give Tom Brady and credit for him is he always finds something. Michael Jordan did the same thing. LeBron, these other guys that are all-time greats, they're always finding something because they know they're superior to everybody else. So they need to find something that motivates them. And I think that Patrick Mahomes is showing us throughout training camp this year and now in preseason that he doesn't want to be defined moving forward by that AFC championship choke job against the Bengals and losing Tyreek Hill. Because we all know that's been the narrative. That, in fact, losing Tyreek Hill has been more of a narrative this offseason than losing in the AFC championship the way they did. Yeah. I, I noticed we don't we don't hear a lot of people talking about that oh, anymore. Yeah, for sure. About it being a choke job and oh they, how did they crumble then you know fourth straight AFC championship against a team you were seven and a half point favorites over. Like how do you lose well, it the game? doesn't help that, that game doesn't have a chance to talk back. Tyreek's been doing nothing but talking. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. But I, I loved I loved what I saw from Patrick, even though again I, I'm not in support of, of playing him, not let alone on the in the conditions they were in on that field. You even heard Patrick like kinda say it in the in the, in the press conference. He was like, uh yeah, I was it wasn't as bad as it looked. You know, like you can tell he was he was trying to be nice, but that field fucking sucked. Let's terrible. just be real here. Yeah. It was it was terrible. Yeah. Um but a couple other notes I want to get to and then obviously I'm gonna get your guys' thoughts on this. But I, I had I actually had a lot of takeaways, uh believe it or not, from this game and it was all across the field. I want to start with a guy that we actually talked about before the show started. Um I, I think Drew Kerloff has played incredible yesterday. I, I really do. Um I've been somebody who's very high on him. I think that that was a really good pick by the Chiefs, especially where they got him 30th overall in the draft. It's very rare that you see, as I've broken down several times on this show, that great top-tier elite pass rushers usually go within the first 15 to 20 picks. And that's being nice. Most times it's in the top 10 to 12. Mm -hmm. Those are the guys that you know are going to be great players. And if they pop, they pop. Yeah. To have a guy like like George Karloftis fall to 30, it's comparable to guys like T.J. Watt. Uh, it's a, a Max Crosby who fell out. I think it was like the fourth round. Shit, I think it would be Max Crosby, round. man. Yeah, yeah, and so there there has been a lot of hype and praise for George. But I think a lot of people are also like, well, let's let him ease into this. And I think this is why the Carlos Dunlap signing was such a big thing. Because I think that George can ease his way into the into the situation, into his NFL career. But guys, I'm telling you, he showed me that, that he wants to hit the ground sprinting. Not running. Yeah. Sprinting. The motor is real. Mm-hmm. Everything we've been hearing about him coming out of college is that this guy has an insane motor out of out of the out of Purdue. He Relentless. has that 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 skill set, that ability to keep going. And Trevor, you already predicted, and I'm calling him the meat Greek, by the way. I think everybody calls him the Greek freak, but that's already Giannis. Yeah. I'm calling him the meat Greek. He's a humble dude. Yeah. He's all about football. He's very coachable. You've seen the franchise stuff when they're teaching him things, and you hear the way he's like just absorbing all this information. He just wants to be the best he can be. Yeah, he's he's truly one of those guys. Some of Frank Clark after practice. Yeah, yeah. he's listening to this. Joe Colon's been really getting him going, you know, hyping him up, but also being very critical, very very genuine about things. Have you seen? Yeah, go ahead. Joe Colon, I don't know if you watched the the, the first episode of of the uh, of the uh, franchise. I love that guy already. The, the, the I way love he, the way he talks. Well, just like, in like the, the I, yeah, aggra- his aggressive coaching style. Like yeah. I, I just love. I just want to throw that out there. Like I don't know if you guys have watched anybody mm-hmm. out there who's watched the franchise episode, which was great with uh, McDuffie. Pretty much uh, the whole thing was centered around him. It was a. It was good to have those episodes back. I enjoyed that little show. But, yeah, watching him on that film man, and, and coaching those guys, getting in their ass and being aggressive, I, that's, I loved having that kind of you know, cheesemo. And, again, I want to preface this. I don't think that preseason is, is something that is a, is a true indicator of what's going to be because I, I think we all can agree that the Bears – 
are going to probably more likely be a really bad team this year. Uh, the Chiefs, obviously, we know that since 2018 have led the, the NFL in points, so it's not shocking to see them do what they did. And I think that we all know that's how it's going to go. So I don't feel like this game was a major indicator of what's to be seen, but there are going to be little tidbits of truth in everything that we do see in these games. And I think when, Trevor, you made that prediction, going back to my point, mm. you making that prediction that he could lead, that George Karloftis could lead this team in sacks, I think there, I think you could be nails on this one. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm fully on board with that idea, idea just yet but I think that your your assessment on him could be really accurate because of the fact that he's showing us the things that it isn't just skill he's relying on this dude is really out there trying to give it his all it's not that oh well I could take this down off and then I'm going to go out there and I'm going to try pressure him on the third down you know we really need it. it's third and long okay I'm tapping in which isn't necessarily wrong because yeah. we know guys have to conserve their energy but the motor is truly there you can tell this guy is a three four down type of pass well, rusher it's a combination of him his relentlessness and his youth and his his, his desire to get after quarterbacks and with the combination of Frank Clark also also wanting to uh, you know have a better season this year and really really push for that, so I think he's going to benefit off of Dunlap and, Car- and 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 Frank Clark really setting the edge on the other side, allowing him to con- to you know put the, a quarterback in a compromising position and take advantage of that. And Chris Jones obviously will get there, looked great as well. So if all those guys are firing all cylinders, George is going to have his 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 ability to to to, you know, to pick up the scraps and you know make plays. So I just. The combination yeah. of all those, all three of those guys working together is. Karloftis did get a sack. It was a ten-yard sack. He had two more quarterback hits and a number of quarterback pressures. Again, we know the competition he was going against, but to see him not look overwhelmed, to not look like he was lost, to not look like it was too fast for him, mm. he looked like the best pass rusher on the field yesterday, and that's high praise for him. And I'm really looking forward to seeing him moving forward going into the regular season because, as we all know, there is a daunting task in that first five six week window for the Chiefs. They're going to need if George Karloftis can take this and build upon it. That's going to make things that much easier for the Chiefs' defense. It's very young and very impressionable to really get going quick. Um, I, I want to bring up the fact that, you know, we always talk about how Andy Reid's like this really nice guy and everybody loves him and he's like the dad to all these dudes and throughout the years, like he's this lovey-dovey kind of guy where people just always can wrap their arms around him. But, but Andy's got this trolling side to him. He's got the savage side to him. And for one... I love the fact that Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy uh, decided to stick with the 21 personnel for the entire first drive with the first team. Uh, what 21 personnel, for anybody that doesn't know what that is, it's one tight end, it's one running back, it's one fullback, and two wide receivers. That's a, like a, a base set of, of, like a, of a typical NFL offense. And he drew up plays for six different receivers that ended up being reception by tight end, two tight ends, so tight end positions taken care of, one running back, one fullback, and two wide receivers. So every single skill position had at least one reception on that mm-hmm. first drive. To me, that that's like trolling a little bit because I think that the the narrative out there about him relying so much on Tyreek Hill and so much on Travis Kelsey, he went out there and made a statement from their first drive of the season. Hey, we're going to spread this ball all over the field. We're going to show you guys that we are multifaceted, multiversed, and we can make this thing happen regardless who's, who's catching the ball. And that's high praise to, I think, Patrick Mahomes as well. Uh, not to mention the fact that, as we were talking about before the show, and I absolutely, this is my favorite part of the entire game, was when he had safety Justin Reed uh, kick a PAT, which was good, by the way. And we've seen Justin Reed booting field goals from 60-plus yards in camp, so this should have shocked us seeing that as, you know, Andy is notorious for doing things like this. Um, as I've been saying uh, for a long time now, when you see things being practiced at Chiefs camp, you're going to see it in game. 
at one point or another in some magnitude or another. It is very intentional what you see in practice and why I believe that you're going to see those in games on a consistent basis, uh, which is why I'm also convinced that at some point this season, uh, you're going to see that Jason Williams white chocolate behind the back pass that Patrick Holmes has been practicing for <laughs> seemingly two months now. You're going to see that in a game. I think it's going to be probably like in a blowout yeah. on like the five-yard line. You know, Chiefs are up 35-17 with five minutes to go, and he's going to do a little nice little ch- – yeah, he's going to chuck that to Isaiah Pacheco or whoever's playing running back in that play. I think that you're going to see something cool like that definitely take place. So I, I, I really liked uh, Andy Reid doing that because, to me, it was a prime example of why players love playing for Andy. Uh, he, he does fun shit like this. And his, his starting safety kicking PAT is just another uh, notch on that belt. Uh, and having fun, especially in the preseason, is something that is key for teams. I mean, we saw on the franchise, Trent McDuff was at Charbar talking about how fun this team is and how much he laughed from day one like mm. and Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes being so cool and down to earth being the superstars of the team treating him like one of the guys it makes things easier for these guys because you know these young dudes are coming here nervous as fuck because right. not only are they playing in the NFL but they're playing for one of the most prestigious franchises in football and so walking into that you're like fuck dude like this is a lot of pressure but when the dudes are cackling with you and Andy's doing fun shit like this like you kind of just ease back into it, especially guys like Trent McDuffie, who's never, he said himself on, on the franchise, he's never left the West Coast in his entire life. At 21 years old, this dude has never gone further, I think he said, like, in Oregon. That's wild to me. Like, being a guy from the Midwest, like, being all over this country, like, I can't imagine, like, only being in Kansas, like, my entire life. It would be wild to think about that, how big the world would be to you. So, with that magnitude in place, Andy's the perfect kind of guy and head coach to ease these guys into this situation. You guys remember a couple weeks ago on this very show when I told you that I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen, that Skymore is going to be a special player in this league? Well, this man already showed how special he is and will be playing in this game as he hauled in, I think it was the play of the game, this actually very nice pass from Shane Bouchel. I'll give him credit for it. When he, on the sideline, dragged his left foot on that play, and got that completion. I'll be real with you. When I watched it in live time, yeah. I did not. Th- I think he was out by a whole yard. Yeah. I was like, oh, that, good good try. It was cool to see. No way he caught that. And then I see the, the ref coming down the sideline like this. Like, he got that fucking ball. He's doing, I'm like, wait, wait, wait. No way. No, 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 no way. And you saw the, the, the slow motion where he, the coolest part about the play, and I, I want to I get your thoughts on, thoughts on this as well, is the fact that Sky Moore was literally sprinting to the sideline at a complete 90-degree angle, running right at the sideline, Chicago Bears sideline. And he's looking the entire time where the ball's coming. Pinpoints the ball with his hands, not his chest. Didn't catch the ball with the chest like a lot of rookie guys do or even common NFL receivers do. He stares the ball down, gets it down, and never looks at the sideline. He doesn't look where he's at. He does, He knows where his body's at. He knows his timing. He knows his foot patterns. And he stomps that right foot and then drags the left foot automatically. Guys, he is a rookie player That's with fifth year. Catch. He is a rookie player with fifth year abilities. Yeah. He looked like a veteran player out there yesterday. And I'm not trying to hype him up too much, but I think we all know why. Because we know the story now that came out about uh, Brett Veach initially was going to take Brian Cook with that pick. The safety they end up getting anyway later on. 
but he knew that they were not going to be able to sit there and let Sky Moore fall any further. Yeah. And and you and I, Trey, we talked about how we didn't realize he was still on the draft yeah, I board. I forgot he was on the board. And the Chiefs take him like, holy shit, they just got Sky Moore. Yeah. You know, who had he led the FBS in slant pattern receptions and touchdowns. You said he was the best graded nice. receiver against the cover two, yeah. which is everything the Chiefs struggled against in the passing game last year. And to see him Arguably do this, to see yeah. him do something like that, that is pure instinct, that is pure skill and pure athleticism. Man, I'm telling you guys, I'm, I'm, I'm still going to reserve the fact that there's a lot of mouths to feed, so it's going to be difficult for me to say that Sky Moore is going to go out there and be some breakaway player. But would it honestly shock us at this point if we saw Sky Moore go out there week one and get himself a touchdown pass or a 60-yard reception? I mean, it, t- the contribution is going to be there is what I'm saying. I don't know if he's going to be wide receiver one this year. I don't think he will be. I think that'll be Juju. Yeah. But I think Sky Moore can legitimately be the wide receiver three and potentially even wide receiver two throughout the duration of this season. He's man. the future of this team. I yeah. Believe, I believe that. I, I really do. And, I, and the sky truly is the limit. I want to talk about the guy that everyone's been hyped up about. We all know it's Isaiah Pacheco. And it's so wild. I, just, I was talking to Trevor about this week. I said, how funny is it that with Andy Reid, not, not not notorious for utilizing running backs, this isn't a run-first offense. Running backs usually aren't the ones that lead the way here in Kansas City, especially in Andy Reid's era. But it's funny how the running back room, and in particular a, a young running back, has been the story of camp. The Isaiah Pacheco has been the story of camp this year. It's just it's wild to me how that works. And that tells you, though, that this hype really does have substance to it. It's not just fluff. It's not just, oh, this is a cool story, but we all know this guy ain't going to do anything this year. Guys, I think Andy Reid truly believes he's got something special in Isaiah Pacheco. He didn't do anything crazy yesterday. He broke one tackle in the past game in the little flat, which I love, by the way. I love seeing Patrick Mahomes hit him in the, uh, in the open flat, which, by the way, if Patrick Mahomes hits him in the flat this year, is that considered a Pacheco down? Absolutely, just, it is. I just wanted to see it. I just wanted to Absolutely know if you guys is. thought that was. This is our fucking key to walk away. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to put that one out there. I know everyone else out there is LOLing, but I, I do believe Andy found something special in, in Isaiah Pacheco. This is a seventh round pick, which is crazy in itself, um, because of the fact that how little he played yesterday. If, if Isaiah Pacheco was just one of these rookie dudes, he'd have been out there playing like Darius Fountain. And Darius Fountain's a four or five year veteran. Who and, good too, by the way. Huh? Gore. Yeah, exactly. Frank, uh, Derek Gore. To see these guys out there terrible. playing as much as they had, oh, we can talk about that. A lot of these young guys that are still trying to make the team that are even older than Isaiah Pacheco played far more. And he was getting first team reps. Like I said, he got the pass from uh, only Patrick only threw the ball seven times, and Isaiah Pacheco got one of them. Mm-hmm. Like, think about that. Think about like the magnets. I think we all know that Clyde is the running back one going into the season. But Andy Reid is very intentional with how he plays players in the preseason and, right, and, and training camp. And he's showing us this dude is going to play a, a pivotal role in this offense. I'm not saying he's going to take over. I'm not saying he's going to lead the team in rushing yards or, or, or scrimmage yards, anything like that. But like Sky Moore, I think that Andy Reid's going to say, look, we have our key figures. We have our Travis Kelsey and our Juju. We have these guys. But there's going to be week 5 or week 11 or week 13 when this dude leads the team in receiving yards, when this dude leads the team in rushing yards, or in the playoffs, he has a Jarek McKinnon type of performance. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility because if you watch the press conferences that Isaiah Pacheco's had, as, as well as Steve Walls, I'll give him credit on this one, he had a video he posted this morning in the locker room with Isaiah Pacheco. And everything, the, the way he was articulating himself, because I'm big on body language, he was very confident, but you could tell that it's focus. It's football that he's worried about. It isn't about a brand. It isn't like he's got all this stuff representing on his on his chest about him. It's This dude really just wants to play a key, fi- a key role in this offense. And I think Andy's going to do it, guys. And I think that even though he wasn't special yesterday, he didn't do anything miraculous, he didn't bust off for a 65-yard touchdown, he showed poise 
plays. He showed that he can break tackles in the open field. And something I love that he said in his press conference was he didn't he, – the hits that he took in this game – were no different to him than the college game. He said, I was anticipating that it was going to feel a little harder. It was going to hurt a little more. He goes, it, it really didn't. It didn't hurt. It, it felt very similar. For me, that tells me his man body's already there, and he's ready to take on this game and the responsibility he has in the NFL level. I'm, I'm, look, I think I'm, I'm fully on the hype train with Isaiah Pacheco. Again, I'm not saying he's going to take over the running back one position. In fact, I don't think he will for a while. It'll be at least halfway through the season because Clyde's motivated, and I think Clyde's going to have a career year. I don't think he has to. But I don't think he has to. Thank you. I think Isaiah Pacheco is just going to play his role because, as we know, in this new era of NFL, it's usually running back by committee. It's There's not a bunch of Derrick Henrys and Jonathan Taylors out there. That's why those guys stand out. A lot of times you have two running back sets, sometimes three, and I think that, that was, you're going to have a very complimentary player out of Isaiah Pacheco well, in this and offense. And I'll say this, too. Um, not to like make the hype train even more hype, but... I, I think he I think he's gonna be kind of how Tyreek Hill was when he started. Remember Tyreek Hill first came to this roster. I'm not saying his skill set is the same as Tyreek no, Hill. That's a good but point. When Tyreek Hill first got drafted, he was what a running back, and he was a special teams guy, and that's pretty much what they've been doing with him and with him. And he's every once in a while like trick player, a, a gadget guy. You know, I think I think we're gonna utilize him in that way a lot. The way we kind of developed Tyreek Hill. And because I think he's got he's got good passing, you know, catching. You know, he can, he's got the chops for you know receiving. Uh, he's a return guy already. Um, he's a, obviously a really good runner. He can do all those things. Obviously, he's not as fast as Tyreek Hill, but he's extremely fast. Yeah. And he's agile, and he can move. He was one of the fa- I think the fastest running back three in the draft. Speed. Yeah, four yeah, three so, speed. Yeah. Um, so, I think I think he's that secret weapon that we kind of felt about Tyreek Hill. How he was that guy that can kind of do it all. I think that's kind of, and he's wearing yeah. number ten. Like ironically, you know, like I feel like this is kind of like I, I did put that out there. I said, you know, it's got to just burn Tyreek up to see his number ten jersey out there being the storyline of the entire training camp and preseason. Because I mean, I the irony of that, you know, yeah. you leave it, everyone. It's like, damn, it sucks. We lost Tyreek. It's been the storyline of the off season, mm-hmm. and and Tyreek's out there been talking nonstop in Miami. And then number ten of all jersey numbers. And again, I'm not saying the I'm the not story saying he's Tyreek, but I'm saying the, yeah, yeah. the evolution. No, no I, think, one's Tyreek. I, I think no that's, I think that's kind of their goal. Was to kind of evolve, evolve him because we all know Tyreek was rough around the edges when he first got here, but he was extremely skilled and, and hyper athletic, and that's yeah. kind of how I feel about Pacheco. He might be even more polished than Tyreek Hill was at this point of his career. So I think I think that evolution could be a similar path for for Pacheco yeah. to be he, like the all around weapon. He carries what two fifteen two twenty. Yeah, two fifteen. Yeah, he's taller and bigger. He's tall, he's five eleven, yeah. five ten, five eleven, and he's damn near he's as fast, almost the exact same size as Tyreek. Hill. Tyreek, yeah, because. Yeah. He's actually heavier thing, than Tyreek. The funny thing is, uh, there was a picture out there of uh, Pacheco warming up, catching uh, punt returns, and there was some guy that was like, for a second when I glanced over, it was like, oh, it's Tyreek Hill. It's yeah. like, because they have, if you look at, if you look at uh, the way the uniform and everything fits Pacheco, it's almost identical to the way it fit Tyreek yeah, Hill. I saw it too. I saw yeah. it too. It kind of reminds me of like, Jamal Charles, to be honest. And, like, he's and, kind of a little longer than yeah, Tyreek and, Hill is. And, and I asked you guys like. You think the Chiefs are taking a little jab towards Tyreek Hill, putting the number ten, but check, you know, putting the number ten on, on Twitter, <laughs> saying it's number, game yeah. day, you know. I think, like, I think it was just high praise because, like I said, I think that the Chiefs know that what we know is that there's something special here, yeah. and, and this is what's so great about the NFL. And I don't want to dive too deep in this because I definitely want to get your guys' thoughts before we have our guy. By the way, our man Mar- Marcus Dash will be joining us from Chief Concerns. He will be giving us his thoughts and opinions on what he's seen in training camp in the preseason momentarily, but. It, it, the way 
the way I see Isaiah Pacheco being used in this offense, I think that what the Chiefs are seeing is this is not just something that is a flash in the pan. And again, the NFL, there's a story like this every single year. I was listening to a radio show locally. I forget which one it was. But they were talking about, like, well, every team has an Isaiah Pacheco. No, they don't. This isn't something that happens every day, but every year you see at least one or two guys in the league that were unexpected gems. That leapfrog the all roster this, yeah, positions. All yeah. of a sudden you have Willie Parker setting a Super Bowl record for rushing yards. Mm-hmm. You know, and he was an undrafted free agent running back. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco being a seventh round running back, having snaps with the first team in their first preseason game. Like this is setting a precedent for the running backs in Kansas City. It isn't Clyde. It isn't anybody else that's setting the precedent. It's a seventh round rookie that's setting the precedent for the running backs to now there's pressure on guys like Ronald Jones and Jerick McKinnon on whether they're even going to make the team. And, and and even to this day, like with all the praise that Pacheco's getting, there's really no pressure on him because he was a seventh-round pick. There's literally no pressure. Even if he doesn't work out, a lot of people like are not going to – kill when he first got here. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people are not going to be too concerned about it. And if he succeeds, the, the, the storyline that's going to – I just feel like Pacheco has no pressure on him just for being a late round pick. He has a lot to, a lot to show, and and I think he's doing just that, and that's why he's getting all the praise he's yeah, getting right it, now. He's playing with house money right now because, like you said, no one was expecting him to be anything of real significance going into this, uh, this season. No one did. They're like, oh, he's fast and he has some skills. He's he's an athlete. He's a good athlete. Like, we'll see if he makes the team. You know, yeah, it's a practice squad kind of body. Yeah, that's why a lot of people were already looking at it when he got. When he got drafted, right? Like, we were we were looking body. at we were looking. I mean, let's be real. Just not even a little over a month ago, we're sitting here talking about Ron Jones being the maybe starting running back of this team. He may not even make the roster. Yeah, I really I, want him to, yeah. but I don't know if he's going to because Jared McKinnon's got the inside track, being a guy that has a great reputation in the postseason with this team. Was at Patrick Mahomes' wedding. That actually does matter. Let's be real. Yeah, yeah. That's why Garrett Dieter made the team I for think four he's years safe to make this roster. Yeah. Ronald Jones? No, oh. Jerick McKinnon. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. He has the inside track, and barring injury to, or anything like that. He's proven to thrive in this offense but, at big moments. But yeah. I think it's safe to say that right now as it stands, if week one started today and the Chiefs were in Phoenix playing the Cardinals, Isaiah Pacheco's running back too. Yeah. Ronald Ron Jones is not probably practice squad. And if he, if Ronald Jones doesn't make the team, I do think the Chiefs will trade him we'll because the, he's him. a 25-year-old yeah. skilled running Someone back give who's away had some, success. Yeah. He's had success in this league. Let's be real. With the Bucks, he was good. He was a good player. If we can get a couple picks out of Rojo, that's a, that's a win. Uh, you'll, you'll probably get one tops. There's a, there's yeah. a couple other guys I want to mention, uh, and then, like I said, we'll have our guy Marcus Dash on to break his thoughts down as well. But um, a couple wide receivers of note that I want to definitely give praise to is Darius Fountain and Justin Watson mm-hmm. for what they did yesterday. They're going to make this team because they're they're Dave Tobe guys. They're special teamers, and they're good at special teams. That's what Justin Watson did. I think back, back with Tampa Bay, if I'm not mistaken. And Darius Fountain's obviously been for the last three or four years and has been good, contributed on the special teams. Watson team filled side. in a few times at, at you know, like a slot receiver yeah, role yeah. For, with, with Tom Brady, and he, he looked pretty good every time he got a chance. They, they Both yesterday, they combined for eight catches for 69 yards, nice, and uh, one touchdown. So they were they, I thought the Justin Watson touchdown was a very nice catch. Re- throw. Great throw by Shane Bichelle. Yeah. <laughs> I thought Shane Bichelle looked really good yesterday. Yesterday. He is good, man. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with him. Hopefully, maybe the Chiefs can maybe get a, a, a draft pick, a late I draft like, pick yeah, out of him. I, and I a like trade. him as our. I would like him to be our backup. Because if he goes to the practice squad, there's going to be a team calling for him this year. I, I really do think he can this, move this too. Be, yeah, he can there's always a there's always a quarterback that gets hurt in training camp or preseason elsewhere. Yeah. I think a, I think a guy like Shane Bouchelle, who's what 26 now, if I'm not mistaken, 25 years old, 26 years old, would be a really good guy for another roster to go and get. But he looked good yesterday, and those two receivers I thought looked really good, and they contributed and they made noise, and that's what you want to do in the preseason when you're a fringe player is to make positive noise. Uh, Leo Chennault, <laughs> he didn't play uh, with the first team at all yesterday, but 
We saw him really getting in a rhythm and putting on a show with his insane athleticism and tackling ability. In fact, Leo Chanel led the team last yesterday with seven total tackles. He had six solo and one assisted tackle. Led the team in tackles yesterday. And I don't think that's going to be a surprise going moving into the future. Because I'm telling you, Death Chanel is a guy that... A lot like what I've been saying about Sky Moore and, and Isaiah Pacheco and what I'm so excited about this young nucleus of, of talent uh, that the Chiefs have gotten in free agency and in the draft is these dudes are all about ball. And Leo Chanel, you can tell he's so honed in on, on the guy, the task at hand. And I was watching him very closely in the second and third and fourth quarters when he was getting a lot of his time is that every time there was a guy in the open that got the ball, Leo Chanel was in the mix. He may not have made the play, but he was always right in the vicinity of that. And that is what you want from young defenders, is guys that are always going to be around the football. Leo Chanel, I, I don't know what he's going to become in this league, but yeah. one thing I do know he'll become is a starting linebacker for this team eventually. I think that um, uh, Elijah Lee, uh, Nick Bolton, and obviously uh, Willie Gay are going to be the Gay. guys that get the, the first you know bulk of snaps as the season progresses, yep. but I do think Leo's going to work his way and earn his way into the starting it's rotation. It's going to take time for him. Yeah, it's going to take some time, but I, I do think he's going to be a but contributor. But his instincts are inc incredible. They're absolutely like, stupid. He's always, like you said, always in, where he's magnetic to the ball. He's always where the ball is. He knows how to be in the right place at the right time, and I think he's just a true playmaker. That's like when, when I talked to him, we talked about him earlier in, the, in, the, in you know, in his preseason leading into camp and everything, I said he's going to be that guy. I think he's going to be eventually, maybe around like week 10, 11, we'll see him maybe getting on the field some more. Injuries always happen as well, so opportunities can definitely – a door could open for him, and he can just, you know, take that job and, and run with it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think he's a guy – once he starts getting his opportunity, he's a guy I'm looking towards more as a, as a future guy, as a, a guy that can just grow and develop into this this uh, this, this in Spags defense and this defense in general. Um, but, yeah, I think he's a guy that's always going to be all around, moving around the field, put in different places, up the middle on the edge, you know, in coverage every once in a while because he can move. He's fast for his size, man. Yeah. So, yeah, him going out there and leading the team and, and tackles his first. I mean, he was out there a lot. but Yeah, he played a lot of snaps. That's but still good confidence boost just for him. The one thing I am a little worried about with Leo, and according to a lot of reports and what I saw yesterday, is in the, in the pass protection, he's, he's pretty bad. Pretty yeah. bad. But when it comes to stopping a guy, when it comes to wrapping a guy up, mm -hmm. I don't know if there's a guy better on this team outside of maybe Willie Gay and Nick Bolton yeah. that can tackle better than Leo Chanel because he can get dudes down on the ground and running, stopping the run, which has been a, the Chiefs last year, I think, were 23rd in rush defense, 21st or 23rd in rush defense. Man, he could be a guy that drops them down five pegs yep. just for being who he is. Um, but yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'm just going to say, I'm not concerned of, about, about Leo Chanel not being great in, in, the, in the coverage yeah. because if you, if you look back last year, who wasn't also great in the coverage was Nick Bolton, and yeah. he was probably arguably the best defender we had in the field last season. I think he was the, last the, arguably season. the best defensive rookie last year. He was uh, arguably the best defensive rookie at, as far as linebackers go, especially. Okay, yeah. yeah, I was yeah. Doing, like Michael Persons is probably – For sure, but yeah. I'm saying – Yeah, I mean, he's yeah, – Yeah, no, I see what you mean, but – He's up there in league league he's, and tackles. He's mm -hmm. terrible at coverage as well as just yeah. Lewis Chanel. So it, That's it, development, I, man. I, I'm, I'm not worried about it because if he can lay the hits, the defense is going to respect him a little bit more. Yes, I might target him here and there, but I, I think he's not going to be used too much in the passing in the passing defense kind of game, uh, kind of like Nick Bolton. Nick Bolton was more about putting that pressure on the quarterback, and, and if he was in the passing game, he wasn't specifically covering one guy. So I'm not too concerned about that. I was impressed by his lateral speed, though, like his ability to, to, yeah, to, to go move from, one, from one, go left to right, his, yeah. his ability for his size. That is a scary man, bro. Like, that, he's one of those guys I'm telling you, he's, yeah. like, he's a future guy for me. I don't think he's a guy that's going to explode off the screen this year. He might have some plays like, whoa. 
But like, I think he's going to be a guy that's every once in a while going to make a play when he gets his chance. But I think as a few as like the, the season's going, maybe on. maybe next year he kind of gets a little he'll more. He'll make acclimated. a big impact play on special teams. I'll tell you that. Oh, this for sure, year. He'll, he's going he's, to he's tear he's some souls out of yes. people's chest. But definitely. yeah, I, he's definitely one of those guys that no concern is with a gym rat, and that's what you want. Speaking of special teams, I think one of my favorite, most underappreciated plays yesterday was Brian Cook in the first quarter when he chased down the chance he gets. I mean, he was twenty yards back. You didn't see him on the screen. Punter has the ball. Punt returner has the ball. And, and he just decks this dude right at the waist area and flips him up, up ends him. Levit the and, and it, it reminded me a lot of me on Thanksgiving dinner when I see the finer dinner roll on the table and I'm running to go get that from it's my bucket. Yeah, dude. I was Brian Cook. He he entered his – that was his inner Lance Twidwell when he sees bread on the table because that dude went and, and just hunted that dude I heard down. Him, I heard I him going that. Bobby Boucher. <laughs> dude, you the needle dick. Like he went after that dude. I, I wanted to give him praise on that as well. I know we'll discuss with our guy Marcus Dash uh, because I know him and Jason Dunn at Chief Concerns are, mm. are big, big proponents. And are pulling big for uh, Josh Gordon, which we all are. Like we love his story, we love what he, you know, yeah. what, what he's overcome and all that stuff. Um, but I, I don't see a, a realistic scenario in which uh, he makes this team. At least right now, we got two more preseasons to go, preseason games to go. Maybe he'll show us something. But there were multiple opportunities yesterday for him to make a play, and they're both on sideline grabs, and both were t- come to come to find out were not completions because he couldn't get his feet down. You could say the throws weren't great. That's fair, but let's real man like that. When you're a veteran player and the ball is in play for you to make a play and you have an ability to get your feet down, you got to make the play. And I just didn't see that from Josh Gordon. Um, if he was more of a special teams guy, which he's clearly not, if he was about three or four years younger, which he's clearly not, I would think that he could beat out Darius Fountain, beat out a Justin Watson, a guy like that for that that role. I think the Chiefs are going to carry around five wide receivers into the regular season on their roster. And I just don't see how how Josh Gordon makes that cut. There's just too much talent at wide receiver. I know as crazy as that sounds, losing Tyree Kill, but there is so much talent right now at wide oh, receiver yeah. on this team, top to bottom, that I just I don't know where he fits in. And I hope that I'm wrong because, again, I love his story and I love where he comes from and I love his ability when his ability shines. But it's been so long since we've seen it. I mean, like I said, guys, he's been with the Chiefs now going on two years, and he has, I think, five catches for 32 yards and a touchdown. And he start, he played 12 games last year. Yeah. I just don't see it. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And I know Marcus will probably he'll probably feel different. That's too, totally cool, and I'm willing to be talked down. Maybe not. Yeah. But I don't see it. You know, unless yeah, and you guys saw it, I don't he see He wasn't it. on the field much. I mean, when he was on the field, he had the opportunities. He wasn't getting the catches and keeping them in play. Um, Cornell Powell was on the field more than him, getting more opportunities. It's just – who didn't look that great either. Um, but, yeah, I mean, especially with Watson out there making plays and, and, and Dury's Fountain out there making plays and looking good, great hands. Um, I mean, those guys were all getting way more reps and way – you know, they were on the second team and, you know, Josh Gordon's on like at the third and fourth, you know, last uh, receiver core that was out there. So, yeah, and I'm a big proponent of Josh Gordon as well. I want to see him do well in this league and play well in this team. But, yeah, I didn't see anything that was worth a you know – that was noteworthy from him at all. So, yeah. And, and, and my final takeaway from this preseason game, because like I said, I had a lot to take away from it. Um, but my all, all in all, this team looks exactly as I was anticipating. They're bigger, stronger, faster, younger, and extremely motivated. Don't let that abysmal second half uh, distract you from how incredible the Chiefs' first and second units looked, because they looked scary good. Mm. Expect great things this season, guys, because this team, they are, they're showing you throughout tra- through OTAs, minicamps, 
training camp, and now in preseason, they're expecting great things from themselves. I know that there's been a lot of influx, and I know in Kansas City we're, we're a type of fan base that loves the same guys to be around. We love the continuity. We, we, we attach ourselves to players. We identify with players. Any offseason of losing your best wide receiver and your best safety, it's not ideal. But when you have guys like Brett Veach, when you have guys like Andy Reid that, that can identify talent and replace that talent with better, younger, stronger, more physically gifted talent, mm-hmm. that's usually going to bode well for you. I know they're going to be growing pains, but I don't think that they're going to be a team that looks lost and looks inept at certain positions. I'm going to tell you guys right now, as young and unproven as this defense is, I don't see a hole on this defense right now. And I know that sounds like high praise. Because they lost a lot of players, and they have a lot of guys in here that have zero NFL experience. But I don't see holes. I can see deficiencies in certain areas. I can see a lack of athleticism in maybe one area. Mm-hmm. But I don't see holes. I don't see, like, they're fucked there. Because after they got Carlos Dunlap and seeing what I've seen from Carlos uh, George Karloftis, yeah. knowing what Chris Jones is, I feel like the defensive line is going to be good enough. Well, because the only real hole major need was an edge rusher. Mm-hmm. And if Carlos and if, if Karloftis becomes that guy who I expect him to be this year and, you know, uh, be that, that leader from day one and that guy that's out there, you know, making plays and getting sacks, if he's doing that and taking care of that massive need, which was the only real need, that was making our secondary look worse than it was last year. And now we're completely revamped and, and, and way more aggressive in the secondary this year. I think a lot of plays are going to be made because of that hole being filled. Because I, in my mind, our corners and our DBs were not bad last year. I mean, on paper, they might have looked bad statistically. But there was just far too many opportunities um, and extended plays that should have been non, not, you know, should have been dead plays um, that our defensive line just couldn't finish. And I think, I think George Karloftis is going to be a big part of changing that culture. Yeah, and that's that's my whole point on all this is that you're you're looking at it again with with the unproven commodities that are motivated commodities. You don't you're not seeing guys out there that are put out there just because they have no other choice. Like, well, we got to make do. Dan Sorensen's a veteran. You know, we we're, we're comfortable with him. Yeah. Like, this is gonna be a challenge for Spags because Spags is a guy that usually leans into his veterans. He's a guy that usually says, "Oh, I, I would rather have a 32 year old Dan Sorensen out there because I know that he's gonna you know he understands my system as opposed to having Juan Thornhill out there who's clearly the better player. Yeah, get the muscle oh, shit. memory. Dan Sorensen just gave up four touchdowns in a three-week span. Yeah, I probably should play Juan Thornhill. It ain't going to be like that anymore. It's going to be, well, Brian Cook is clearly the better player. He's going to be out there week one. Oh, oh, Justin Reed, the guy we just signed for you know $25 million, he's going to be out there. Mm. He's a better version of Tyron Matthew at this point of their careers. That's what I love about this this team right now is there's a lot of there's a great mix of veteran presence and rookie motivation. A lot of new blood that's going to fix and change the narrative around this defense because last year was it was very murky, man. I mean, they had a good run, but it was also against bad defenses. And like I said, the extremes of playing good quarterbacks and bad quarterbacks, Chiefs gave up 32 points per game against playoff offenses last year and 16 points a game against non-playoff offenses last year. They, they need to bridge that gap. I love the 16 points per game yeah. thing, but it can't be like that against just bad bad offenses. Of I love, you need to I love do when that. we talk about the defense and how like, we're excited about all these young guys, and then the Jerry Sneed's just still there. Yeah. Like, we just He's forget that you know, he the best guy on our defense last year and <laughs> last couple years, really, since he's been here. He's been one of the best pieces in this defense. That guy, I think he's going to thrive this year, this year too. Man. Before Marcus gets here, I want to get your guys' two takeaways overall from this preseason game. Let us let me know what you guys took away, because these are my takeaways, and I know you guys are reactions to it. But maybe just give me a, a synopsis of what you guys saw from the team yesterday. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll say um, I liked what I saw from a lot of the guys. Chris Jones having that early sack and looking, getting off uh, uh, quick on that quick first step. He looks, he looked fast. He looked aggressive, getting blasting through the middle. Obviously, I think that helps with the speed and uh, the, the the speed of Frank Clark and Carl Loftus on the edge. Both those both those guys motors off the edge. Um, so I think that helped Chris Jones uh, look like himself once again. I hope that's something to you know to look forward to as the season progresses. Um, Colin Saunders had a had a good sack as well. He did, um, and I will say that's a guy that we haven't mentioned, but that's a guy that's still trying to make this roster. He's been kind of semi on the bubble, um, so it was good to see he got a lot of reps. He looked really good. He looked really fast and aggressive. I thought it was Chris Jones sometimes at certain at certain points because he's a big guy as well and he was moving quick. Um, I always liked his skill set. He's but he's just kind of got been a guy that hasn't really he's kind of fallen to the wayside. But he was a guy that had promise coming into the, you know his draft. So I'm hoping he makes the roster. I'm hoping he can, you know, kind of find his way and become that guy, a consistent rotational guy for this team. Because if he, if he can find his his momentum, I think that's a guy that could be dangerous and make plays for this team defensively. So I liked what I saw from him getting that sack. That's probably a good thing for him as well, confidence-wise. Brian Cook, uh, that tackle on special teams is just – I think we're going to see a lot of that this year. Well, yeah, signing Danny Shelton. Penalties I think, might I think, come. I think signing Danny, Danny Shelton is going to motivate Colin Saunders. They play yeah. the same position. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which I love that signing as well. Yeah. All Any kind of depth you can have the defensive line is, is always a good thing. But, yeah, um, Carl Loftus obviously was – the highlight for me because that's just the guy I'm really kind of hitching my wagon to this year defensively. I think he's going to be an absolute monster this year. Um, so it was good to see him go in the sack he got. He came from the other side, came blasting all the way around to meet the you know to sack the quarterback for like a five yard loss. Um, yeah, just finish the play. The play's never over for that guy. And that's the main thing I loved about him. He came from the other side and made sure the play was dead. Um, the Watson touchdown obviously was impressive. Great throw by um, Bouchel. Um, and Watson looked good, man. And even yards after the catch and his hands and getting up and get it. Um, he just looked good all the way around. I think he's going to be a, a good rotational guy. If anybody ever gets hurt, he's a guy that they could fill in and play some um, some good minutes. Um, and then obviously on the special teams as well. Uh, Leo Chanel, obviously, he's a fucking animal in my mind. I think he's a guy. He's a really raw. He's a he's kind of a wild stallion right now. Yeah. Um, but he's a, I think he's a guy, like I said, he's more of a future guy for me. I think he's a guy that's going to develop and be a massive part of this defense as the years progress. Um and then I, I I think the biggest story for the Chiefs right now offensively is Ben Pacheco. All the hype, the hype train for Pacheco is wild, um, and I think he showed why. He hasn't shown much, but I think he I think the respect from Andy Reid from what we saw from Pacheco, not having him out there too much, playing with the with the ones, uh, getting you know a, a, a target and rushing attempts, and he's kicking you know the returns and all that. Like that's just. I think he's the new weapon, man. I'm getting Tyreek Hill vibes from when we first got Tyreek. Like, who is this guy? You know, we got him in the sixth round. What? This guy's a a freak athlete, and he's getting. You know, I think he's going to be one of those guys going to have like a kick return touchdown or a punt return touchdown, uh, a rushing touchdown, and a receiving touchdown in a game. I think he's one of those guys that's going to be like kind of that triple threat kind of guy. Um, and I'm, I'm just excited to see what he, he's capable of and what he's going to do, what he's going to grow into. Because he's just, he's just like, I think he's one of those guys that's going to be a game-breaker kind of weapon, similar to how we use Tyreek Hill and how defense is going to start having to respect his skill set. So that was my biggest takeaways for sure. Yeah, my biggest takeaways was uh, – the biggest one was uh, Pacheco. The way the way Andy Reid utilized him. Yes, I, only, I know he had two carries for six yards. At, at It's preseason, kind of getting to know him a little bit, but the way he, he's using him – on the passing game with Patrick Mahomes, that should get you excited for what the Chiefs are trying to do this this season. The first drive alone just pretty much turned me on, and I just didn't care about the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. I was like, ah, I'm done, you know? Yeah. Uh, I've seen enough. Uh, 
the way Patrick Mahomes and this team just went out there and you know seeing seeing how Patrick Mahomes can hit anybody and any player yeah, at Pat any time great, it, it was it was amazing it was amazing that pass he threw to MVS was kind of kind of like his no look kind of uh, traditional Crossbody. pass yeah he was just like and then I love how MVS just went he went and grabbed it nice, yeah because yeah. it was it was a fucking bullet it was it was fast I was just watching the replay not too long ago where Patrick Mahomes just like he Vintage. he threw that shit. And then you can just see MVS just like with his quick hands just go up and grab it. So it was nice seeing that. Lil Chanel was my highlight for this game just for the simple fact that he can lay the hits. He's not scared to fucking hit anybody. He gives no he gives no fucks. You know, yeah. uh, I love I love that energy from him, and I think that's what this team really needs. Uh, having him and Bolton, you know, being those aggressive tacklers, old school kind of yeah, that old school kind of football that. That can lay lay a player out and and not give a fuck. I love I love that kind of attitude from Lushnall and what he showed yesterday. I am in no way concerned about his uh, coverage, pass coverage. Not concerned. Like I said, Nick Bolton always uh, also struggles with that. But last year, he was arguably the best defender we had in this team. So not concerned on that. Carl Loftus. I wish I would have seen a little bit more, but he did get the sack. Uh, so we can see his explosiveness and and. His quick footwork, which is what what we wanted to see, uh, so hopefully in this next this next game we can see a little bit more of him. Uh, but yeah, man, uh, the way Chris Jones broke in there and grabbed grab that that sack early on in the game, uh, man, the ones and twos in this defense are, are are scary. They they are the real deal. Looking past that, it's a little, it's a big question mark because we're not sure. It was a little it was a little. You know, it was str- uh, stressful watching those those uh, threes and fours out there, and just struggling on coverage, on blocking, or on tackling, and it, it was just bad, bad, bad. So it, we can't we can't risk anybody getting hurt this preseason or, or especially in the, in the offensive season. line, especially yeah, and, on the offensive line in the season because yeah. it's it's going to be a tough one. The person I I don't know if he played. Um, I, I, you guys can because I I I, know, I snoozed off on. Fourth quarter, but I didn't see uh, uh, what's the offensive uh, guy we got? Kennard. Yeah, Darren Kennard. He played. He, he, he played. He, he got played the third and fourth quarter. Yeah, so I didn't see much he didn't of him. Look too good, but. He, I didn't he see looked much. like he's he he definitely looked like a rookie. That's that's the okay. thing about him. You know, I'm big on him, and I still am. I just think that when Trevor and I were talking during the game. I think what it is is he's gonna be one of those guys that has to ease his way into the equation. Maybe a little uh, bit of gonna, jitters. It's gonna take yeah. him. Probably, it's gonna, take, it's gonna take him. It's gonna take him quite a bit. He's more talented than Andrew Wiley. I will say that he's got more football. At, like ability, but it's but, four. But Andrew Wiley is what six years into his yeah. into his NFL career, six seven years into his NFL career. He, he's yeah. he's established. Love, and also, I love Justin Reed in this in in, in the in the defensive back. Yeah, man, it, yeah. The, the, he's he, gonna be fun to watch. He made he made that tackle was in the first drive of the Chicago Bears where mm-hmm. he just went in and just grabbed that tackle on this dude. That was amazing. So. Yeah. Well, we are uh, very, very privileged and honored to have a guy. We haven't, we haven't had a guest on the show for about a month now, and that was very intentional. Trust me, we, we've been wanting people on, but we also wanted people on when it was, I felt, more of a time for us to actually have things to discuss. And I felt, you know what? What better guy, what better, what better somebody to have on this show for a show like this than our guy that we have coming on right now? He is the co-host of Chief Concerns podcast with the great Chiefs legends and Jason Dunn and Eric Warfield. He's a very busy guy. He's out there on the football field out there looking like little Patty Mahomes himself sometimes in his pickup games. But let's give it up for our guy, Mr. Marcus Dash! 
fellas. What's up, guys? What's up, what up, buddy? I appreciate the, uh, you know, mentioning my uh, flag football abilities. <laughs> Bro, you, you're out there just sketching up defenses, man. You're out there just picking them apart. You're playing with your food, man. I mean, it's it's, it's almost like shameful sometimes. I'm like, you gotta, you gotta take it easy on these dudes, Marcus. Like, we get it. You're good. You know, quit. These guys have two kids and a mortgage out here, bro. You gotta chill on these dudes, man. Yeah, one of the guys on our team uh, pays this, um, pays a, a videographer friend of his to uh, film all the games. He's like really into like TikToks and all this stuff. So he was filming all this stuff, and I was like, well, I was like, let me, let me get the footage. I'll, I'll put together like a, edits every week for our entire team. So. That's kind of how that happened. It was I wasn't trying to brag on myself or anything, uh, but we did uh, lose in the championship uh, last last Sunday, so that's why I was free to come on the show today because our season's over. We lost the Damn. championship it was, a, it was a heartbreaker. Well, you guys, then you know full good and well that what the Chiefs are going into this season with. They're going into this season with the motivation, knowing that they had an opportunity to add to the trophy case, and they didn't do that. They fell short. Um, I watched this team yesterday, and again, Marcus, I'm not a big preseason guy. I've talked about this on the show. I've talked about this on our platforms. I'd rather the starters kind of take the approach of the Rams and the Chargers and teams like that because I want to see these guys as healthy as possible going into week one and moving on because we know this is a long, grueling season. But having said that, I wanted to get your takeaway on a few of these um, certain particular uh, situations and players that we saw yesterday. First of all, the, the field was abysmal. Uh, I was very nervous about that. I couldn't believe that a, a pro football team had a field look that bad on on TV for a game that may not have meant a lot, but it's still guys out there risking their, their, their health. And I didn't like that at all. But what I did love was what we saw from the Chiefs first string offense what Patrick Holmes looked like he looked like a guy that clearly did not need that game that clearly was comfortable behind this great offensive line that he's got and the weapons that he now has he's picking his poison we saw Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy have the 21 personnel for the entire first drive felt very intentional six different receivers and six different completions and obviously it ended on a nice touchdown let's just get your takeaways real quick on what you saw from the first string what you think of this first string offense and moving forward going into the season well, for one, I, I, I loved what I saw. I, I kind of wanted more. They said our stars going to play the whole first quarter, but we had that, that one drive, and that was pretty much that was pretty much it. We didn't need to show any more than that. I was kind of hoping for some more, though. I mean, obviously, she's football and seeing, seeing our guys out there. But um, I will say, uh, obviously, everybody getting involved, uh, Michael Burton getting involved, Harvin getting involved, MBS getting involved, Kelsey. I mean, everyone was getting involved, which obviously that's something that we talked about all, all offseason, that that's what was going to happen. That's the Chiefs we're going to see. Um, and I was kind of surprised Juju didn't get a target. And Juju was the guy that, that's been Patty's guy all throughout training camp and, and everything so far. So I was kind of surprised he didn't get any any love. But what uh, Pat was 6 of 7 for 60 yards. I, I thought it was um, it was really exciting to see the fact that everyone was getting involved because, you know, every offseason, teams always talk about, oh, we're going to do this once we go into the season, right? And right away we come out with our first drive. And obviously preseason are not the indicators of anything. But that first drive was what we've heard all offseason, which is like, oh, mm. all right, we, but there, there's, there's something going here. So, um, yeah, re really exciting to see uh, that. Um, I thought MVS they had a nice contested catch, uh, which is just cool because, you know, it, the, the drops have been something that people have talked about. He's had some drops uh, during training camp. Um, and then just two years ago, but that was kind of his, his thing with Green Bay, you know, the drops last year, not so much. But, uh, you know, catching that contested ball, um, just kind of seeing uh, that with that no Tyreek Hill, no problem. And that was kind of a, the big thing. Yeah, it's the Bears and it's preseason. But 
that that first drive, man, I was it was really it was really cool to see um, everyone getting involved. Uh, but what did you guys I mean think about that? Well, what I loved about it the most was the fact that we saw, and this is actually where my my next question kind of goes to, kind of kind of steers in this direction, is is the fact that every single year in the NFL we see a hidden gem, uh, a guy that comes out of nowhere. You see these undrafted players make big plays. I, I always reference Willie Parker from the Steelers way back in the day, setting the Super Bowl record for a single se- a single game rushing record with I think 186 yards. He was an undrafted free agent. Uh, now we're seeing a seventh round player like Isaiah Pacheco making such a a grand entrance. But now he didn't do anything special yesterday outside of maybe a broken tackle in the flat. Which, I, by the way, I, I asked the guys. I, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, Marcus, but. You know, if he if Patrick Mahomes hits him in the flat, I think that's got to be called the Pacheco down. You know, the yeah. Isaiah Pacheco down. What do you think, man? I like that. I like that. Yeah, it's, it's clever. <laughs> He's like, God, I gotta hang up on this motherfucker. <laughs> but, but, but in all seriousness, I, I love the fact that he was getting first team reps, and the fact that you saw Andy kind of preserve him. He didn't play a bunch of snaps yesterday. I know he got a kick return, and he he looked really good. I think he got about thirty yards on it. He was in the back of the end zone when he caught it, but. You, you can tell that Andy knows he's got something special here. I'm not saying he's going to take over running back one duties uh, at any point this season. I could see it, but I don't know if it's going to happen. All I do know is that there is something about this guy, that he loves this game, studies this game, is getting better at this game, and has the athletic fortitude to make something and, and be a key figure in this offense moving forward. So I want, I want to kind of steer in that direction. What are your overall assessments of, of Isaiah Pacheco in, in, in OTAs, minicamps, training camp and now in the preseason i mean obviously it speaks volumes that you know he was running with, running with the ones didn't really we didn't really get to see him outside at, once pat was done that was pretty much it for pacheco we didn't really see anything after them so that says a lot right but i don't know i guess i'm i guess i'm one that's kind of uh not so optimistic about pacheco or you know i think a lot of people want to write him right away not you not you but a lot of people say rb1 he's going to be rb1 by week five it's like i don't know i Measurables. He had the fastest forty-yard dash from any running back coming out of this draft class, um, and I don't really see the speed. I, I, I remember Nile Davis. He he's got a lot of Nile Davis to me. Yeah, I, I would say he's got a um, where like you know Nile Davis had some spot duties where he started and he looked good. You know, we were, we were always hoping that Nile Davis was going to that that next running back for us. He never really took over with that. Um, I say same the kind of hype that we had about Colby Smith too. Were like Colby Smith, you know, we thought he was going to be the guy who took over, never, never really did. Um, I think Pacheco could be a, a, an all right kind of a spell type running back where, you know, like CH looks all right, Jerk McKinnon looks good, and, you know, Pacheco comes in and does his thing. Just that right now, I I, I want to see more from him. Uh, well, he only had, what, one carry yesterday and then with that one catch. I kind of want to see a little more um, before we start to say Pacheco is the is that guy that could be the next, you know, the next Kareem Hunt. Um Right now, yeah, I, I see more now Davis from him than anything else, and I'm happy he did return that. You know, that's what preseason's for to you know take take a ball out of the back of the end just to see what you can do. Um, and you know, he, he looked all right, and I think he can be our kick returner. Niall Davis was our a badass kick returner for us for a little bit, so mm-hmm. he could be that. You know, but when I saw his tape coming out of college, I, I thought he looked a lot like Niall Davis, and I think that he could be that. And seventh round for getting a guy who you know he's going to run with the, the ones, pretty solid. I mean, I, I don't know if he's going to be. Kareem Hunt, as a lot of Chief fans want him to be, but you know, take it for what it is. But right now, I, I want to see more on him before we start, uh, you know, um, giving him uh, the keys of the kingdom. Um, but I, I want to see, I want to see more from Pacheco. Um, 
I don't know about you guys. Uh, where you where you guys stand on the Isaiah Pacheco train right now? Something that Eddie said earlier that I, I liked is the fact that I feel that Pacheco, although he's got a lot of hype around him, and, and, the, and the fan base has very much embraced him. Mm. And I think there is some expectation. I know I've made I've heard the I didn't make him, but I've heard people compare him to Kareem Hunt because of size and skill and things of that nature. Mm. But at the same time, I think that he's coming into the season with very little pressure because once again, he is a seventh round pick. Yeah. Um, there's already a running back in place. In fact, there's a couple running backs in place. I mean, Rojo, he might even still make the team. I don't know if that's going to happen, but McKinnon had a big postseason. We know that Clyde's a first round pick and this is his third year it's a prove it year for him so the, the focus really isn't on Pacheco even though it somewhat still is where people are really liking what they're seeing from him and the coaching staff's you know hyping him up but the pressure isn't on him the onus isn't on him to have a great season I think it would just be a cherry on the top if in fact he does have a great season and so somebody that I think has a lot of pressure on him this season and I think showed out a lot yesterday or at least showed us glimpses of what he can become is George Karloftis. I know that the Bears' offensive line is going to be a t an atrocious unit this year. The Bears are probably going to be an atrocious uh, unit as a whole, as a team this year. But I love the fact that Karloftis looked like he was NFL ready. Yeah. He had the speed. He had the burst. He had the motor. He had the, the physicality. The timing was good. He was relentless out there. He had multiple quarterback hits. Got a 10-yard sack. Uh, tack it was a tackle for loss, obviously. He had multiple quarterback pressures. He looked primed and ready. I'm not saying that this guy's going to be uh, you know, a 15-sack kind of guy. But knowing what I saw from him yesterday, I could see somebody that catches on quicker than other rookie edge rushers. And it's high praise because he was at the tail end of the first round. And we know that a lot of times the, the elite pass rushers, the guys that end up becoming something special in this league, are usually in the first 15 picks of the draft. So he could become something special at the tail end of that first, which makes him a valued pick. What are your thoughts? What did you see from George Karloftis? No, I loved everything about Karloftis yesterday. I mean, he was constantly back there, you know, just I mean, the, was that that crazy throw that uh, Fields had to Tajay Sharp on the, the sideline. But Karloftis threw the, the left tackle back there. I mean, it, that guy was in uh, Justin Fields' lap. Um, yeah, Karloftis, uh, I mean, he, he looks he, lo he looks amazing. I know that some, some of the draft, uh, the experts out there were saying, oh, project guy uh but you know he he, he could have a role with uh with, with, as a pass rusher as a late first early second round grade it's like, I, I mean yeah well maybe not a 15 sack guy this year or maybe i, I think a couple of years we could see that from him but um right away i, I think with with dunlap clark and, and him i think our pass rush is so much it went from one of the weaknesses to our team adding dunlap was such a big deal because it takes the pressure off Karloftis. First round, he's got everyone's got a little bit of pressure, but it takes the pressure off Karloftis, where he can just you know go out and ball because we don't we're not expecting it from him. We have now have with Clark, with Dunlap, and, and Clark looked fast yesterday. I, I don't know if you ever mm -hmm. saw that. I, I, we saw only saw a little bit of him. He looked fast, and, and since we've had him, I, I mean, this looked like maybe first year Clark, like the first couple games of, of, the, of the first year we had Clark, because really Clark hasn't really obviously lived up to expectations. He, sp he spoke about that, but. It's this going this this going from already last year we, when we picked up Ingram I, I remember everyone was like oh man our, our pass our, our pass rushing defense looks great already we're already better than we were last year with that with that Ingram because Ingram really Dunlap came in and replaced Ingram right we didn't have a Carl Loftus but now we have Carl Loftus on top of that Dunlap on top of Clark and on top of whatever we can get from uh, Mike Dana um, uh, Joshua Kane down I don't know if we're gonna get much out of him uh, I didn't really see much coming from him uh, yesterday. Um, but again, yeah, Carlotta's looks good, man. I, I think 
it's um we talk on our show a lot about having a guy who's like a, a kind of a grinder type right a guy who's just non-stop gonna be back there you know just all day yesterday when I, when Colossus was in whether it was a pass rush play or you know running from uh, behind it to you know to, to chase down um a, a, a running back Carlos was it was in the camera and in the TV all all day for every time he was in there so like that's something yep. I noticed you know like you know, last year you saw where like Clark wouldn't, wouldn't run on backside of plays Carlos maybe it's the, the young you know rookie uh, in him but he's like just running constantly Carlos was in the TV all day yesterday um and so I just think we haven't had a guy with a high motor like that who's nonstop in a really long time. Like, was the last DN that we had? Was it was it was it Tamba? Obviously, yeah, Tamba was probably the last one we had like that. Um, not saying Carlos is going to be Tamba, but to have a motor like that, because we watched the uh, the Bengals game. I remember JD said, I, "I want I want a guy like that. I want um, gosh, who who are, who are their two ends? Um, uh, uh, Trey Hendrickson, and then uh, who's the, who's the other guy on the other side? Uh, Hubbard Bengals." Somebody yeah. good. That's all I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's two guys that was nonstop. They may not be the, yeah. the you know the fastest guys, but they were nonstop back there all day, just getting pressure with 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 three men fronts, and they were getting pressure on Pat. Um, and so if we can get a guy like Car- Carlos can be anywhere like that, I think we're gonna be. I, I, it's gonna be fun to watch. And I think defense. There's not a lot of expectations for our defense this year, but one thing I'm gonna be so excited to watch our defense this year because it's it's just so young and fast and. What I saw yesterday, man, uh, give me that all day. You know, what, what you guys mentioned uh, Justin Reed, you know, getting the getting the uh, tackle um, on the, one of the first plays out there. Uh, and then uh, he was bl- blitzing on the next play. And then you had um, uh, Willie K making the backside tackle. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's just going to be really fun to watch. I, I, I'm probably more excited to watch our defense this year just because there's, so, there's so many unknowns and there's so much youth on that side of the ball. And I'm just really just curious to see how the defense looks. I'm just really excited. Marcus, I'm glad you brought that up. That's that's something I've been preaching on the show as well about the the focus has been so much on losing Tyreek Hill as opposed to what they gained on defense through that trade. Like it sucks, you know. You never want to lose a, a Tyreek Hill, you know, talent. You know, he's unprecedented. He's great. This offense has been elite, and it's been a large part thanks to what Tyreek Hill has contributed to it. He's made incredible plays throughout the postseason. I mean, we we're gonna miss him. But this defense got significantly better, both athletically, uh, younger. The youth youth is a big thing. You want to have young defensive players to mold their minds and shape them and, and to get them in, in, in focus, but also just the ability to make up ground. And we know this is a game of inches, and George Karloftis had mentioned that multiple times after the game yesterday. These guys get it. And I think Brian Cook, seeing him what he did on special teams, yeah. seeing, seeing Leo Chennault lead the team in tackles yesterday. Like, th- this defense, I'm with you, man. I'm lockstep with you on this. That I think that they have the right pieces in place. Will there be games where they look lost or they look like they don't have it because a team is just simply beating them? Yes, mm-hmm. that's going to happen. It's a long season. But at the end of the season, when the Chiefs need them to rally around each other and to get things going and get a big third down stop, it's going to happen because they're going to get it done. They have the guys in place. But somebody that I want to talk to you about on the offensive side, I, I said multiple, or a couple weeks ago after I got back from Chiefs camp, I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. Sky Moore is going to be special in this league. Yesterday, he showed us 
a, a glimpse of it by 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 toe drag toe dragon catch at the on the sidelines like he did. Shane Bichelle gave him an opportunity and he took full advantage of it. What I loved about it was the instinctual aspect to it all, where he never looked at the sideline, he never looked around himself, he never got his eyes off the ball, and he went up there and got the ball, pinpointed the ball, got the ball with his hands, didn't let it come to his chest, got the ball and immediately stomped that that right foot, drugged the left foot. It looked he to me. Looks like a rookie with fifth-year ability. He is a guy that looks like he's ahead of his time. He's already getting the offense down, according to multiple reports and his own testimony. He's got this down. I think he's learning this offense faster than a lot of guys. Very cerebral, has insanely big hands, is one of the best slant pattern catchers in, in all of college football yesterday, last year. Um, was the best graded uh, wide receiver against the cover two, which we all know we need more of that here in Kansas City. Man, I... I'm big on this kid, and I and I don't think he's the wide receiver one. He may not even be wide receiver two at the end of this year, but this kid's got it, Dash. I think he's got it, and I think he's going to be a big contributor moving forward this season, next season, and seasons beyond. I, I think this guy's got it, Dash. What do you think? Um, I'm right, right there with you. And I, again, preseason, and he's playing against – he's playing with the quarterback that he won't be playing with when he does get uh, playing time uh, this year. But, like, yeah, that one – there was that one you talk about the the, the, the toe uh, toe uh, drag he had, but it was a slant route that he had yesterday. Um, was it was it was it Henny or was it was it Boucher who threw it to him? Boucher, yeah. Okay, so that right there, I mean, I was watching with my brother and I was like, I was like, what does it what does it look like to you? I was like, it looks like Golden Tate, like prime young Golden Tate right now, and like Golden Tate had some good years, man, playing the slot and like if that. If that is what he is for us, our slot guy, and maybe not wide receiver one, but a guy who can play in the slot and to do the things that we've been that we haven't had over the last few years. Yeah, we had Tyreek Hill, we had Travis Kelsey, but we never had an underneath guy. Matter of fact, what was the last underneath guy we had who who, who, was, who, who can move the chains like that? I can't even remember because we, we we literally gone from Bo to to him uh, to Tyreek, and now we, we have we finally have that underneath guy with the possession guy, which. I can't remember. We haven't had, we haven't had a possession guy in the last like twenty years. I, I can't I can't think of one at least. Um, yeah, no, Sky Moore. I, I think you put him with you. I, mean, I don't know what's going to happen with our wide receiver one situation, but you put him with uh, with Juju this year. I, I think I think Sky Moore, man. I, I, I'm just, I'm really excited about Sky Moore because I, I think he's going to be a possession guy that we haven't had in a long time, and I think you get rub routes with Juju and him or him and Kelsey. Just getting him involved in the offense this year, and like you said, he's he's getting the offense down. You can kind of see that on the field, and he's just kind of, he's just playing. And I think that the fact that he's already playing, like you know, because he already has the kind of the concept down and everything, I think that you know, I I think the sky's the limit for him. No pun intended. And I know it's been a, a common joke made with Sky more. No, you lean into that shit, Dash. You lean yeah. into that. <laughs> I, I, I do think that Sky Moore is going to be one of the guys in the draft. Like, wow, damn, he, I can't believe he went. He fell to Kansas City. And a lot of mocks had him going the first round. So it's like mm -hmm. I was surprised he fell as long as we did. And I remember when uh, as our pick was approaching, it was like, are we going to trade up for a receiver? Are we going to trade up for a guy? Like, And then we ended up getting Sky Moore. It's like, no, we, we, we knew we were doing. We knew that he was going to fall, and we, and we, and we, we got Sky Moore, man. And I'll, I'll be honest. I didn't want Sky Moore. I didn't want him as one of our first-round picks. But the fact that we got him in the second round, we got him. I was like totally fine with that because with every value board and every mock draft uh, top 100, Sky Moore was going significantly higher than where we got him. So the value was there, and I was really happy we got him. And yeah, if, if we continue to see a progression uh, with Sky Moore, like we've already seen, 
And plus, I want to see him with uh, Mahomes, and, and maybe next preseason game we'll be able to see that. Um, I kind of want to see how that looks on, on the field because most of the training camp clips are uh, Mahomes throwing the juju every time, so it's like we're not really getting to see the, the Mahomes uh, Sky more magic yet. So I'm, I can't wait to see it uh, on um, on Sundays, man. You know, we talk about how Patrick Mahomes gets an, a golden opportunity this year to in some narratives. Uh, you know, well, you know, Tyreek Hill helped him be this great player, and and some of that is true. I think it's a lot easier to have a Tyreek Hill than to not have a Tyreek Hill and succeed. But this is an opportunity for Patrick Mahomes to to really silence even more of these critics that have been coming at him. And this narrative has been out there now ever since Tyreek Hill got traded. But I think that Andy Reid has an opportunity to do that as well. And I think that Andy Reid. There's, there's a little bit I, – I started the show with, you know, you look at Michael Jordan, you look at Tom Brady and LeBron and all these other all-time greats, that they know they're superior than everybody else, so they have to find that chip on their shoulder. I think that Andy Reid is starting to etch himself into that area of being one of the three to five best head coaches of all time, and, and if he keeps going down this path, he's got goat ability here. He really does, in my opinion. Because he's a better, he's been a better head coach in this league without a great quarterback than Bill Belichick has ever dreamed of being. So he's got an opportunity here to pack up a couple more Super Bowls. But Andy Reid can look at this year and say, "Man, I got a real opportunity to kind of troll this league a little bit because everyone's talking about the AFC West and how damn tough it's going to be and how how the Bills are just this four, you know." Without question, Super Bowl team that's going to just represent the AFC. We know that Tom Brady still. We know the Rams just won the Super Bowl. You know, a lot of people are starting to question whether we can do it still without that top-tier wide receiver. And then we see him go out there in the first-string offense. Every single play was in 21 personnel. And every single one of the skill positions got at least one reception. I think Andy Reid knows, man, that this is an opportunity for him to show his coaching prowess. That even though the AFC West has bolstered their rosters... He's still the man when it comes to coaching. He's still the best. He's still what represents the AFC and the AFC West in particular. What do you thought? What are your thoughts, man? Do you, do you think that this is a year that Andy Reid could really just flex that muscle a little bit and kind of troll the league and tinker with this pick your poison style of offense? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Andy's already kind of. I mean, obviously, when you talk about, he, he's already in that elite, elite stats. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. Um, I think it's just. Doing what he's doing now is just going to be another like story in his career where he was able to do it with not top end talent. Obviously, Juju's a solid receiver; he's a Pro Bowl receiver, but he's done it before. I mean, look, before the Eagles got Terrell Owens, they had a starting team of uh, Fred X, Freddie Mitchell, uh, Todd Todd Stinkston, Todd Pinkston, um, <laughs> Greg Lewis, uh, L.J. Smith. He had he had, he had receivers that weren't like they weren't top dogs, but he had a good quarterback, and he was able to. Get the NFC Championship with these guys, with these, with with, with, with these receiver who were receivers who were like wouldn't probably be owned in most fantasy teams because right. they weren't the like top end talent. Um, and I think now he's got, you know, Mahomes as quarterback, and he has a team with Travis Kelsey still because those Eagles teams didn't even have a Travis Kelsey. They didn't have they didn't have anything. But yet those offenses were still fun to watch. They were still the high scoring and high powered, and he did that. But now he's he got top quarterback, top tight end in the league, and then he's got a bunch of different weapons all over all over the place. So, yeah, and I think as Chief fans, we we see the weapons we have, but everybody out there is oh man, they don't have Tyreek Hill. This team's gonna you know they're gonna, they're gonna falter. But we all know where that narrative is going. I think everyone's kind of mentioned it by week eight, ESPN and all the 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 the, the, the hot takes will be you know like, do the Chiefs have the best uh, weapons in the league? I mean, because that's what's gonna happen. We're gonna go from. Dogging the Chiefs, saying that Tyreek Hill's gone to 
do the Chiefs have the best weapons? I mean, because you can go down their depth chart one through five, and they have all these guys. I mean, at, you know, Mahomes can't fail with, with this team. So we're going to see that narrative change. So to us, I think it is another, it's another chapter in Andy Reid's uh, career of, you know, being able to, you know, cre- create who Tyreek Hill was, give him kind of the platform to do his thing to be Tyreek Hill because Tyreek Hill was well, a late-round pick who was playing running back who had a transition to play receiver with us. And he created that, right? So he created that Tyreek Hill, you know. So Tyreek Hill goes, he gets paid, and good for him. But now it's he's, it's a, evolving Patrick Mahomes and being able to kind of give him so many toys. Um, and it's funny, I was watching the uh, the Oklahoma-Texas Tech game, um, the, the highest-scoring game in uh, college football history, the the, ba- the Baker versus Pat uh, game. And if you watch that game, Patrick – and I, I was watching this. I was trying to get hyped up for my, my, my flag football game my last week. You know, I wanted to watch offense. And watching this game, Patrick didn't go to the same. Like he was spreading that ball around, and I'm like, "Huh." I was like, "Interesting." I, I wonder, like, when Pat and him, uh, Pat and Andy sat down this offseason once Tyreek left, it's like, I in college I never had a favorite target. I went to everybody all over the field, and like you watch those games, he didn't throw to the same guy more than probably five times in that game. He was going to everybody. Everyone was getting a catch. It's like, damn man, like he really spread the ball around. You know, and I, I watched another uh, Texas Tech game, and again, Patrick spread the ball around, and that's kind of what he did at Texas Tech. And now we're just taking that onto the NFL level, where he doesn't. He's, yes, he still has Kelsey, but like, you're not going to know who's going to be uh, the, the the main receiver coming out of Kansas City each week. And I think that's, I think that's kind of the where we're going. And I think, like I said, Andy's already done this before, and it's just now he's doing it with. The best quarterback in the league, and it's just gonna—it's gonna look different from what what Andy's done in the past. But uh, he's done it before. I, I think it's just—it's just, a, it's just a, in, a, in a different uniform this time. You know, I actually disagree. I don't think that they they were watching footage like that this offseason. I think what they did is they went and found your footage uh, playing football, the Marcus Dash tapes. And they're like, all right, Andy, Andy's like, look, Patrick, I know you're a regular season MVP. I know you're a Super Bowl MVP, but that—that that is what I need. I need that to be my quarterback, and if you can't give that to me, I'm going to sign Dash, and then you're going to have a legitimate quarterback controversy and competition in Kansas City for the first time. And look, man, you you've overcome a lot, but Marcus Dash is the real fucking deal, and if you can't give it to me, he will. So I think that's the real footage he watched. I think I need to go down to Texas and I work out with Bobby Stroud. You know, there you go. We, we saw what he's done with, with, with Shane, man. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what, that, that's one thing uh, that's not going to allow Christ. Shane looked pretty damn good yesterday. He did. Like, he did. Everyone tries to say, oh, man, all those receivers were, were, were cashing. Uh, you know, Justin Watson had a great game. Uh, the show's nice. Looked good. But, like, yeah. Shane was putting it on them. Like, he was making it look easy out there. And he was making it easier for the receivers. Whereas, I think if you put Josh Gordon in the door, he's found I don't know, a little segue to Josh Gordon talk maybe. Um, <laughs> if you put Josh Gordon in the, uh, the fountain role yesterday, uh, I don't think – I think I don't think there will be much different there. I mean, and I think with the guys like Cornell Powell and Josh Gordon, I think we need to see them with quarterbacks who aren't named uh, Dustin Crum with that fourth string uh, O line because that was brutal to watch, man. Yeah. How is any receiver going to get any kind of real looks when you're playing with that that O line yesterday? That, that was that was really bad to watch. Well, that's actually where I that, that was really my final question here, Marcus. I was saving that for you because I know that you and Jason in particular, you and Jason Dunn. Have have really been you know knocking the door down for our guy Josh Gordon and you and I we we've had our discussions and we've talked about it on the show we've talked about it in you know in text Josh Gordon is a guy that I really do want to see make this roster I'm rooting for him I love his story I love his talent 
it's and you're right. There's there's validity to that that he didn't really get an opportunity to, to play with the better quarterbacks on the team, if you will. Yeah, Dustin Crum looked absolutely lost, and that offensive line was just inept. So you're right. There were a couple throws that I thought that Josh could have maybe got his foot, you know, a little closer into the field than he did. But but you're right, man. I I do agree there are validities to that, but. There is a reality to all of this. And at the end of the day, I think it's by August 16th, if I'm not mistaken, the Chiefs need to gut down from 90-man 90, uh, 90 roster to 85 or 93-man roster to 85. You're gonna, I want you to be in somebody that has been so big on Josh Gordon to, to talk me and other people into that, that think his days are numbered in Kansas City because as much as I love the guy, as much as I love his story, I'm really looking at where he fits. And if the Chiefs are keeping five, maybe, maybe six wide receivers on the roster, I want to know why Josh Gordon needs to be one of those six or one of those five and how he's going to contribute to the team. So, I mean, a big part of that, right? So, like, everyone wants to base on, you know, what Josh did yesterday. And it's not fair. To, to base what you saw, Josh. And, you know, yeah, he's he, he getting his toe down, which I think that mm-hmm. tough grabs, tough grabs nonetheless, though, you know. But um, I think that to for people to want to keep Therese Fountain on the team because he's plays, he plays special teams and Josh doesn't play special teams, it's like really the – the potential that Josh can unleash. And I'm not saying Josh is going to be 2013 Josh, and that's that's what the, the JD and I want to be clear. He's not. We're not saying that's going to be 2013 or 2014 Josh, but Josh doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on those tires. He's been pretty much, you know, sit, sitting at home for the last uh, few years of his life, you know. So it's like he doesn't have a lot of, of wear on those tires. And when we do see Josh, you know, he make, he's makes he makes like nice grabs yesterday, as we saw. And yeah, yeah, he, he had some dropping issues last year when we did play him in, during the season. But as you heard him say this this past week, it was insurmountable task for him to just come into Kansas City, learn that playbook, and play. He couldn't play because obviously he was th- he was thinking too much about the plays and everything. Um, I just think if we're gonna, don't we want the best possible receivers out there on, on our team, right? So, and I'm, I'm not knocking Darius Found. I just think that. Josh has more of a game-changing ability than Darius Fountain does at our six receiver. If we do keep six receivers, which JD thinks we're gonna we're gonna keep six receivers, end up keep, maybe even seven, he said. But I don't know. I don't know where we're gonna find the, the numbers to allow seven receivers. But I think six is where we'll, we'll go. And I just think that, yeah, special teams. Obviously, we need as many special teamers as possible. But I think we're. I mean. Are we gonna are we gonna let a guy like Josh Gordon go who could be a game changer on offense? If barring injuries, he can come in. Um, he, he can come in and, and play in the red zone. I mean, there's so many things that Josh can do that Therese Fountain can't do. And I don't care if Josh is old and or older, but I think I think he provides something that none of the other receivers on our team have, which is that size and just that kind of the game breaking ability. And there was one play actually yesterday where I thought the quarterback was gonna get it to him. He freaking was wide open. Had this amazing route on on um, the one of the fourth string corners on the Bears, uh, wide open. But then the the, the pocket collapsed on uh, Crumb, and uh, you know, uh, obviously, you know, he was a cookie crumble yesterday. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I just think I, before we cut Josh Gordon and Cornell Powell, and I believe obviously August sixteenth is a deadline coming, so a lot of our guys that we that we're rooting for are going to be gone. Um, I hope that by the next preseason game, I hope they kind of let Josh and, and others kind of play with the Chad Hennies and play with quarterbacks and the O-lines who were actually going to block and show us something because that fourth quarter was atrocious to watch yesterday. I, I don't know. I was watching. I was going to want to see Josh do, do his thing, but 
that was so bad to watch yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was. It was, man. And I, and again, I, I make the record straight, dude. We, we we would love to see Josh make this team because I'm, I'm with you. I think that he's got more of a wide receiver presence to him than a guy like Darius Fountain. That he can he can make better, better plays in an offense. The problem is is that I think that every receiver on this team has a, a particular purpose. We know that Juju, MVS, Sky Moore were brought in, signed, and drafted to be the guys that can carry the the receiving load, whereas guys like Darius Fountain, Justin Watson were brought in in particular to be more quote-unquote tope guys. Yeah. And I would love to see Josh Gordon get that opportunity. I just I just don't know if it's going to be here in Kansas City. And if it isn't here in Kansas City, I'm with you. I'd love to see him get a couple highlight plays and a team out there is like, you know, we just lost our one of our receivers to injury. Maybe we'll give Josh, Josh Gordon a, an opportunity because, like you said, there's still tread on those tires, and hopefully those tires – were brought from like a pet boys or something like that because that you know they could still be quality and I, and I'm hoping that for Josh Gordon but nevertheless Mr. Marcus Dash you are an awesome dude we appreciate all your time man he is the uh, co-host of Chief Concerns podcast he also could potentially be the future future starting quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs if Patrick Mahomes doesn't film study the hell out of what Marcus Dash has put on tape <laughs> because the man is legit he's got like the whole like three quarters throws you know he's got the sidearms he's got the swag he's staring at the camera he's like literally doing this as he's running at the camera <laughs> the man knows what he's doing and so Patrick you got some competition bro and he's a podcaster he's he's multifaceted people like him he kind of looks like Scott Bayo back in the day I, I think I think Dash has got it where it takes man we always appreciate you <laughs> being on the show with us bro we really do appreciate it man I appreciate you guys, and that's funny that uh, my, actually my family sends around a little old Happy Day Scapey. Uh, uh, nice, <laughs> old old Scapey, not this new crazy Scapey. Oh no 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 oh no! I, I'm talking like from like 1985 back, not yep. not, <laughs> not modern era Scapey for sure, bro. <laughs> but no, bro. Nevertheless, we really do appreciate. It. We we love you, man. We love Jason Dunn, Eric Warfield. You guys are some of my best friends in this in the podcasting world. You guys are always so good to us, and so therefore that's that's. That's the least we can do to you guys. It's going to be a fun season. I hope you're ready, man, because we're going to have you on several more times throughout the season. We're going to get Jason and Eric back as well. But for you to make your time, dude, we really do appreciate it. I'm looking forward to this time next year. You're celebrating a championship for your football team, bro. Hopefully, man. I, I got to get the monkey off my back. You know, it's uh, my, my, my flag football guys don't know this, but um, back in college, so after I was done playing football, I ended up playing uh, the intramurals. And, um, I went 0-2 in, uh, in uh, championship games uh, in uh, intramurals. And so now in the adult league I'm in now, uh, we've gone to championship four times in the last four years. <laughs> oh and four, so oh and six collectively. <laughs> so uh, I'm on a hot seat right now. You see they still going off get the together, man. I'm, I'm not going to done. Yeah, right now you're like the Jim Kelly, you know what I mean? But you're gonna get that Steve Young, you know, you're gonna get that Steve Young run where they're pulling that monkey off your back, bro. It's gonna happen, damn it. It's gonna happen, Dash, and we're here, we're here to see it happen, brother. But nevertheless, man, keep kicking ass in Chief Concerns Podcast. Keep kicking ass in life in general, bro. We will be talking soon. All right. Thanks a lot, fellas. Thanks for having me on, guys. That is our guy Marcus Dash from Chief Concern Podcast. Give him a little, little round of applause because he 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 absolutely brought it today. We really do appreciate him coming on. Go listen to their show, guys. Go follow them. They're on YouTube. They're on all podcast platforms, and they have great content. And honestly, they have an advantage that most shows don't have, ours included, where they have former 
players, NFL players that had long careers and in particular play here in Kansas City. So if you want to get that perspective um, from guys like Mark Adass who are well-versed and understand the game along with former greats like Jason Dunn and Eric Warfield, man, you got you got it there at Chief Concerns, and I, I highly recommend their show. They, they, I enjoy them. Even if I didn't know the guys personally, they weren't personal friends of mine, I would have definitely said, hey, go listen to that show because I enjoy it regardless, and they're, they're one of the best out there. And they're very supportive of everybody else because they know that we all can eat out here, man. It's about unity. It's about doing this together and having a, a collective and a community of, of, of uh, content providers, and that's how we look at it as well. So, again, thank you. Follow Mar- Marcus Dash at Twitter, at Dash of News, and you can follow them, their show, Chief Concerns, at Concerns Chief on Twitter as well, man. they got great stuff, and they come out with shows all the time, and they will absolutely, absolutely uh, give you what you're looking for. But nevertheless, I don't know if we have anything on the Eddie Hour or not, but we'd like to get some questions from our guy Eddie because he's always got thought-provoking questions. There's been some really heavy news uh, stories coming out of the world of sports. Eddie, what do you got in the Eddie hour this week, man. Is there really, though? No, I'm just kidding. This shit. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, let's go NBA. Uh, are you are you for NBA players playing in this uh, Drew League, kind of like LeBron James already played in? And uh, I think DeMar DeRozan played this weekend as well. I don't know if other uh, NBA players currently play in yeah, that. Yeah, Murray. Yeah. Are you for or against NBA players kind of playing outside of the NBA? 100% against it. Uh, because of the fact that I know this is a game that we all love and it's a child's game and things of that nature, but there's also a significant risk involved. Um, the reason why is because of how much money is put into these guys and how much, how much these franchises are relying on them. Uh, I, I take it back to when Patrick Mahomes was first taking over the starting duties for Kansas City. We saw the video of him at Lifetime playing basketball. And I was terrified. Not that he looked good. It was fun. And it was cool. And, you know, him and Cheetah and all the guys are out there playing. And it's like, oh, that's cool. Whatever. Pick up guys and, you know, having fun. Yeah, that's extremely dangerous and irresponsible. And that's why Brett Veach put it into that immediately. Because of the fact that you can look at this as me just being super paranoid or, oh, you can't take any risks. you got to live life. That's true. But you're a paid athlete. And at the end of the day, your body is what makes you money and your body is what makes success happen for you and your team. So you can't be putting yourself in the line of risk and the line of danger outside of that. Because we know the, the games they play are already violent. It's collision sports. It's, it's, it's strenuous on your body as it is. And it is fun to do these things. But that isn't what you're paid to do. You are paid to keep yourself safe and responsible and being able to give it your all for your team. I know that sounds like an old school mentality, but I, I, I very much stand on that side that I would rather LeBron never play in those things and not have those cool storylines and be 100% healthy and re- regular, ready for the regular season. Same with Patrick Mahomes, knowing he's going to be able to play week one and beyond than taking that type of risk. Even if he doesn't get injured, the opportunity for that injury is there. And if you're going to get hurt, it better be in regular season football. It better be in postseason football. That's why I'm against preseason as well. I don't want to see these guys get hurt unnecessarily in unnecessary scenarios. That's where I stand. I don't know if Trevor's going to agree. He probably won't agree with me on this, but that's okay because that's just I would rather see guys preserved and ready to go when it matters. Yeah, when it comes to basketball, I, I do. I, I don't think it's a big deal. I think they're they're playing within their sport. It's a it's a it's a. Um... It's something that's connected to the NBA. It's something that's connected to the – and I don't think these guys are out here actually going full 100%. I know LeBron's had some, like, highlight plays, and Deontay Murray's been out there. Uh, DeJounte Murray's been out there playing and having nice highlight plays. And But these guys are kind of just – they're out there for the fans. This is a cool way for the fans to see some stars and, get you know, get some um, experience with, the, with those guys. And DeRozan's been out there going fairly hard as well. I don't really, I don't really have an issue with it because I mean injuries can happen when you're working out injuries can happen in practice injuries can happen all those things uh, with NFL it's 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 a little different 
um, just because it's a, it's a much shorter season and it's far like you're far more likely to get injured uh, at any moment in those kind of games. Pickup basketball is a little different. I mean, I know you can jam a finger or you can you can literally you know tear an ACL or something like that. But those are kind of freak things that can happen at any moment. You can tear an ACL walking down the street sometimes. So. Um, I don't really have an issue with it, honestly. I think, especially with LeBron, LeBron's one of those guys that doesn't ever stop. I mean, if LeBron wasn't 100%, he wouldn't be out there. If he needed to recover or something, I think he, And plus, LeBron didn't really have the, the postseason that he normally has. So this is like normal for him. He he doesn't stop, really. So his his kind of offseason, LeBron is always going. So this is kind of LeBron's way of just kind of extending and heading and keeping that, that body ready for the season. I think, of, I think it would actually hurt LeBron more if he took more time off. I think that's kind of where his body's at. The older he is, the the, the more his body is just going to sit there and become more inflamed. And um, that's kind of actually scientifically how it goes. Like sometimes when you take too much time off, your body actually becomes acclimated to that rest instead of it being constantly ready for battle. So I think a lot of these guys, I don't, I, and it's not a lot of stars out there. It's only a few of them. Um, so I don't really have an issue with it. I mean, I know a lot of the guys that are out there playing are worth a lot of money. DeMar DeRozan just signed that new Nike deal to represent the Kobe brand, which is incredible and happy for him. So there's a lot of that as well. Um, but as far as LeBron out there, I mean, this is the Le- LeBron's always done this. LeBron's always played a lot of pickup games and off-season stuff where he, if he's not in the postseason, which he normally is, I mean, that's if you consider that, he actually played way more uh, into the postseason than, than, the, than you compare that to this. This is, I mean, I know these games don't matter. The postseason games matter, but I, I don't. I just don't really, when it comes to pickup basketball, I, it doesn't really matter to me. Nice, nice. I forgot to turn on my mic for that, asking that question. <laughs> but it's okay. <laughs> You don't want to hear me. Mine, ask. mine probably picked you up. <laughs> yeah, you this don't want to. first show. <laughs> you don't want to hear me asking that question. I remember my anyways. first beer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Uh, staying in the NBA, uh, Bill Russell's number six will be retired mm. league wide. Thoughts? Uh, this is the most literal, uh, pun intended, slam dunk move the NBA could have made because of the fact that it was it was great to see for, uh, other like all time greats like Magic Johnson making pro, you know pro, proposing this this idea to the NBA, which I think the NBA was going to do something like this anyway. But to see him come out and say something like that was it shows you just the magnitude of how important Bill Russell was to the league and to the individuals that he impacted throughout the years. You saw him in 1963 with with Muhammad Ali and Jim Brown and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar standing in unison and and, and, def- and defending Muhammad Ali for the decisions he had made for his own personal life uh, all the way until like when you saw Kobe Bryant at the end of his career when him and Bill Russell are embracing and how Kobe told him that hey I read your book that's why I have the mentality that I have and Bill Russell chiming into him and saying he's so proud of him like a father figure to so many of these men whether they had real fathers or not Bill Russell was that was that 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 lighthouse, that refuge for these guys to go to. That's why I love the fact that Bill Russell, even at his advanced age, way into his 80s, would always be there to hand over his trophy to the MVP of the finals. That was his trophy to give, and he would travel at, at 80s in his mid 80s would still be out traveling yep. to the, the both coasts. Like even just this last year, he had go to Golden State all the way back to Boston. Like that's a, literally going across the country. And at his advanced age, he shouldn't. He, most people would never have to do that but he wanted to be at every game to be able to get the potential of giving off that trophy and he did just that he is one of the single most important sports figures in the history of our country this man went through so much 
the stuff that I can't, I don't even want to specify on the show that the, ter, the, the torrential racism, just how horrific people were to him, even in his own city of Boston, where he was a, a God figure, people were doing horrific things to his home, to his family, to him, and to be able to withstand all that and still be such a sweet human being. We, we lost a we lost a great human being, man. We lost a great figure to the NBA, and we will forever pay homage to what he was to this league. Yeah, so first of all, rest in peace. I mean, it's one of the greatest, like you said, sports figures and, and, and pivotal um, uh, figures in sports in general. Um, paved, paved the way for the likes of the, uh, you know, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's and other guys to, you know, uh, become, a, you know, the, the next great bigs, right? So he paved the way not only for African-American athletes, um, and this sport particular in particular, you know, from all the just the normal uh, uh, white players that are just running around at Chuck Taylor's. He was kind of one of those guys that came in and changed the game of, of basketball forever. Um, say what you want about him as far as like what, what era he played in, how he dominated a kind of watered down league, whatever it was. He, he dominated the league he was in. He played the card. He played the hand he was dealt. Um, you know, and he paved the way for a lot of the what the league is now. And I believe the NBA is one of the most progressive uh, um, you know, adaptive sports today. Um, and they know how to market their players. They know how to take care of their players and know how to, you know, um, um, honestly, and probably better than any sport in the world right now, uh, as far as marketability and letting players become a brand. And you know, that, that starts with guys like him, you know, to, 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 to blaze that trail of evolution for the sport and the individuals, um, you know, if guys like him never stood in the face of adversity, not 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 even the adversity of the sport, but the adversity of life in general, and and the the, the mountains he had to climb just to get the opportunity that the others could just literally just walk into, guys like him paved that way, and I have nothing but ad- admiration and respect, and um, my condolences to his family and the legacy that he, you know, has laid forth for his family, the generational wealth he created for his family. Um, that's, that's a resume that's damn near unmatched, um, and for a lot of people. So, um, I, I love the idea that this is like what I'm saying. The NBA takes care of their players with this retirement of number six is a huge thing. Um, that's a, that's a, that, that, that banner is going to be hung in every sports arena, every basketball arena. Um, so I, I love that. I love the idea. I love what Adam Silver is doing with that. And, um, yeah, so I mean, nothing but respect and, and love to that, to him and his family. I love the story uh, that uh, the MLB retired Jackie Robinson's jersey number league-wide mm. for obvious reasons. And now the NBA has done the same for pretty much the same reasons. Both breaking the color barrier, mm-hmm. both breaking the color barrier in their, in their respect to sports, becoming the figures that yeah. they became to their sport. Much respect for, 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 for the NBA, for the MLB. True, truly tremendous honor for... For yeah. what they what they did on that, absolutely. Um, sticking with the NBA, the the other question I wanted to ask you guys is uh, thoughts on Kevin Durant pretty much telling the owner it's either me or the GM and and coach. As, as I told you when I first when I first got the news, I sent it to both you guys and I said I said two words: he gone, he's gone. Uh, this this one hundred percent tells me that his first attempt to to do it the way he did it initially with Josiah meeting with him and. And asking for a trade. That was Kevin Durant trying to hold this down professionally. Like, look, this I know I have four years left on my deal. I'm not happy here. This isn't what I was looking for. This isn't what I agreed to, basically. I would I would appreciate it if you traded me to the list of these teams. And when that went 
didn't go anywhere, and you saw the whole noise with Kyrie continue. He opts into his contract. Things of that nature start to happen. Uh, you see that Joe Sy is not really entertaining some of these incredible trade packages that a lot of teams are putting together, and the hesitancy from other teams about, hey, we're not trading our entire franchise away for a 34-year-old injury-prone at this point. Uh, great player, albeit, but he's older, and he's injured a lot. He's missed almost two full seasons previous to this last this last year. Um, we're not doing that because it doesn't make sense for us. Once you saw that, Josai kind of got pushed back in the corner where he didn't make that decision and at least didn't make it in a timely manner for Kevin Durant's liking. And so now this was just simply Kevin Durant basically pulling all the cards out and saying, look, I tried doing professionally with you. Now you're either going to fire everybody that's running your franchise or you trade me. And And he knows that Josiah is not going to fire Sean Marks. He's not going to fire Steve Nash like that. He's not going to do anything like that. So it forced Josiah to take a side where he had to come out on Twitter and say, I back my front office, I back my coaching staff, and I trust them to, to, to be you know, capable of all their abilities to do what they need to do to run our franchise. So that's telling us that it's it's only a matter of when, not if, Kevin Durant is traded. Uh, there are theories of where, and we could talk about that another time. But he is not going to be a Brooklyn net. It's not going to happen. Him and Kyrie Irving will not be Brooklyn Nets because of the fact that, and it's for different reasons, obviously, but Josiah wants to get rid of this chaos, and Kevin Rant will literally do whatever it takes for him to get his way. And you can say it's wrong, you can say it's right, however you want to say it. The fact is Kevin Durant will get what he wants because superstar players in the NBA in particular do get what they want, and that's what's going to happen. Well, yeah, I mean, when you set the, the, the bar that high of, of your demands and what you want, you want them to betray their their entire coaching staff and people that they and, and, and leadership of that franchise uh when you set the standard that high it's pretty much you saying that you you want out without saying it you know what i mean so once again this is another toxic situation that kevin durant has put himself in and has contributed to um sorry that you didn't it didn't work out with you and 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 and, and the, the you know the, the new super team with you Kyrie and, and james harden sorry I don't know what to tell you. Like, this is what you signed up for, motherfucker. You got two of the greatest talents alongside you on that team, and y'all failed. I don't know what to tell you, bro. Like that. This is this is what separates guys like with, like Kevin Durant. I'm not shitting on Kevin Durant. He has every right to feel the way he feels, and he's one of the best players in this league. I get it. But this is what separates guys like him and LeBron, and people like try to shit on LeBron for LeBron has fulfilled every contract he's he's taken, and has, has brought a championship to every team he's been a part of. Right. This is this. This is and he and, and KD is just kind of flexing this, this you know, power that he has. But he, it's really not even his. Like the resume he has is stacked because of other people, not because of him. It's just is what it is, man. His resume is so tainted by jumping aboard a, a, an already a championship team, and then going to have championship prowess teams and failing big. I just I, I I just continue to lose lose respect for KD as a person. I love him as a player. He's one of the funnest players I've ever watched. One of the most deadliest players I've ever watched. But off the court, the guy is just a problem. He's toxic. He's an he's an issue, man. Like if I was him, I mean, and I get it. The Nets have to do the right thing, and this is he's putting the Nets in such a rough situation here because the Nets, as a franchise, don't want to show that they're going to fuck over their their star talent, their players, and they also don't want to show that any coach candidates and any any front office people that want to come and be a part of this franchise who's still rebuilding and still trying to make a you know a, the Brooklyn Nets a thing. Uh, uh, they don't want to show that anybody they hire into that front office or head coaches or part of that coaching staff that they're going to just can your ass because a player wants you to do it. 
You know, so they have to kind of play both sides. There's a gray area they have to meet here. So most likely Kevin Durant's going to be gone because I think he's made that case pretty clear that he wants out and he's making the he's setting the bar so high on what he wants to be even be a part of. And if we're being real, it's it's stupid because he's he's making very clear enough that he doesn't want to be there because if they get rid of all the coaching staff and Steve Nash is gone, who are they gonna just bring in that's gonna change the culture? Is that going to attract a bunch of other star players to come one play in Brooklyn? No. Everyone knows that. So KD is going to be gone. Uh, it's just a question of where he's going to land and where Kyrie's going to land. I think it's in Lakerville most likely, but um, yeah, this situation is just, it's, it's tired at this point with Kevin Durant, man, if I'm being honest, like it's the guy is so great on the floor, but like everywhere he goes, it's a, it's a constant problem unless he's getting carried by, you know, the likes of Steph Clay and Andre. So yeah, he's gone. He gone. He out of here. All right. Uh, two more questions. Uh, Frank Gore uh, dragging a naked woman in a hotel hallway is pretty much the, that was the headlines earlier this week. I asked you guys if this shit was real. And you guys were like, "Oh no, yeah, that's." I was like, "I want to get your thoughts on on that whole situation." Um, yeah, everything I've read, it, it seems to be a very valid um, report. Uh, whenever things like this come out, I'm always I, I try to be I should say I try to be slow to react to them because we don't you don't know the full story. In fact, you may never really know the full story. But what I will say about this is the fact that I think that Frank Gore um, doing this, it, it's pretty obvious. Uh, I don't really need to like expand on it. It, it. No matter what took place, unless she was like trying to kill him or you know assault him, there is no excuse for Frank Gore doing something like this. Any man or any person, for that matter, to do something like that to somebody to somebody else. And and I think that uh, um, for us to speculate on what the causation of it all was is irresponsible on our behalf all i can say is what i do know about it it is shameful i'm a i'm a massive frank gore fan i think he is one of the greatest running backs to ever live a lot of people for some reason are slow to give him that credit or respect even though he's literally third all time in rushing yards i I think that this guy deserves a lot of praise and a lot of credit which is why this sucks so much for people for people like me such big fans we all know that everyone's you know no one's perfect and everyone's human but this isn't a mistake you can make and unless there's some aspect to this that we're not made aware of yet this this just looks really bad and it honestly could be a deterrent for him making the Hall of Fame as crazy as that sounds because we know that the Hall of Fame especially in the NFL is all about were you the nice guy Class. were you always good to the media do you have any you know lack of controversy surrounding yourself both on and off the field that is something to think about and with his lack of playoff success and things of that nature you, you it does beg the question but more so I hope that the the woman involved in this is okay I hope Frank Gore get some serious help because if this is what it sounds like it sounds like the dude just went off the deep end and for whatever he's dealing with i hope he gets it set straight and this is just something that can literally ruin a legacy both the player and the human and i hope that i hope it gets figured out man that's all i can say i I hate situations like this where there's no context involved like i don't know the context of the scenario um i don't know if he's if he was reacting to something she did like you said i don't know if she possibly assaulted him first because if that's the case and that changes things of course um, being excessive and dragging someone down the hallway is a bit much, especially as a big, strong man like he is. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know the situation. If he was just trying to get her away from him and she didn't want to leave and blah, 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 and she maybe hit him, assaulted him, he was just trying to get her out, and it's a bad look at him. Just Maybe the only opportunity, option he had of getting her away from him was just to drag her. I don't know why she was naked. I'm pretty sure I can make my assumptions. Uh, but yeah, man, I do not know the situation. I don't know what she was capable of in the moment, what she did to him in the moment, what he did in the moment. All I know is there's some damning evidence that he was um, assaulting a woman, most likely uh, dragging her down a hallway. 
it's a bad look for him, um, especially a guy who's had a spotless resume on and off the field. Uh, you know, he's been a class act. He's always been a consistent athlete, a consistently clean record off the off the field. You know, I mean, for the most part. So this is just a strange, random occurrence. I don't know what what the explanation is. I, I'm sure it's going to go to court, and I'm sure there's going to be some hefty fines and some things to come down on that. But I don't know the context, so it's hard for me to have some kind of like real. Um, you know, way to break this down and have real opinion about this. So I, it's damning from what we see. Um, but yeah, so I, that's about all I got, man. I just hope whatever the law thinks is the right decision, the rightful thing should happen. So yeah, I don't know. All right, last question for you guys is uh, obviously the big the big news yesterday. I'm sure everybody saw ESPN uh, breaking news. Was it yesterday or Friday? A couple days ago. Yeah, a couple days ago. Okay. We have uh, Tatis Jr. being suspended uh, 80 games. Therefore, he is officially out the remainder of this season and almost half of next year's uh, season. So what are, what are your thoughts on that? I'm always, I'm always the guy that will defend players when it makes sense. But when it doesn't, I'm not going to defend them. Fernando Tatis has been very irresponsible in the early portions of his career so far. Um and I understand, because you guys know you guys know my stance on, on, on performance-enhancing drugs. You guys know my stance on steroids, things of that nature. I equate sports to entertainment because that is what it is. At the end of the day, this is entertainment. It's literally no different than music and movies and any other form of entertainment that we consume. So I'm not opposed to people using performance-enhancing drugs. In fact, I support it. I, I fully support it because I want I want players to be on the as much as possible and be as healthy. Andy Pettit, one of the greatest pitchers to ever be in of his generation, talked about using PEDs. It's what kept him on the field and kept him being great. And the major leagues turned a blind eye to it because he helped the quality of the game. Same with Mark McGuire, Sosa, Bonds, all the guys that we know deep down did take. So I'm going to defend Tatis in that regard. But when you when you are careless and reckless with it and you know that it's going to hit you hard with a penalty, the league's going to hit you hard with a penalty if you get caught, the last thing I want to hear is some lame-ass excuse that it was in it was in an ingredient of an un, or, or of a product you started taking because you know why? That is the letter of the law bullshit because you have physical therapists, medical staff, practitioners, doctors, trainers, everything on your staff at the tip of your fingers and access in text, phone calls, and in person. Zoom calls, everything. They can give you a list of things you can and can't take. And if you ask for it, they can provide it to you through the hospitals, through the medical facilities, and they can get it taken care of for you. It's a lot like when we talk about when drive, like how do, how do these guys get DUIs? How do they drive when they're drunk? They can have limo services, Ubers, and all these other ways. Why don't they? This is the same exact thing. Don't go out there and get shit. Even if it was unintentional, you got to be smarter than that, man. They just traded for Juan Soto. You have an opportunity to win a World Series this year, and you fucked that up, man. He's because doing now, that far before that. Depending, yeah. depending on how many games they play in the playoffs, if at all now, his suspension is going to go into next season. They have like 35 games left this year, and... Uh, if they play, you know, five, ten playoff games at most this year, he's still got forty plus games next do you year. Think, do you think the 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 fact that they went and got Juan Soto? Do you think that they maybe the the team knew something no. was coming down on him? I, I don't no. think that is because you you get a guy like Juan Soto like in that regard. If he's like 33, 34 years yeah. old, you got a guy like Juan Soto who's the same exact age as Tatis because yeah. they want to build around these guys. And you heard the GM of the of the Padres talk about. You know, we gave Tatis this long-term deal in the hopes that he'd be maturing as he went along because he's so young 
was like a random test. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's it's and he's been he's missed a lot of poor. He's missed a lot of the season. Yeah. And to the defense of the Padres, they have a winning record without him. They're 13 games over 500 without him. Of course. But it's clear as day he's one of the 10 best position players in the league. With with or without him, we all know they'd rather have him. But 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 they've missed him a lot this season. So I know he's trying to get back on the field and be healthy as much as possible. So I knock him for that. But damn it, you got to be smarter than this, bro. You can't do things like this and and expect to get a little slap on the wrist. MLB's gone gone. Come down hard on guys like this, and and eighty games is actually pretty light because he does this shit again. He's out for an entire season. Yeah, Manny Ramirez did that shit. Yes, he tried the end. He yes. tried the major league. And yeah. This MLB, the, it was like two years. Yeah, it, it, so this, this is what I'm saying, man. I, I'm frustrated with Tatis because I'm such a fan of his, and I was really looking forward to the Padres and Dodgers like potentially meeting up in the playoffs. This interstate rivalry, this opportunity of having all these stars on the field on both sides. It really sucks, man. I feel like we were robbed, and I really hope that Fernando gets smarter than this because I love his game. I love his ability, and I think this dude's going to be a Hall of Fame player, but with shit like this now, as I just talked with Frank Gore, this is a part of his legacy now forever. Same with DeAndre Hopkins. I know for some reason we don't look at NFL players the same way as cheaters, but now forever, this is going to be a part of their legacies, and it really sucks, and I hope Tatis can bounce back from it whenever the fuck he gets back and and, and can and really uh, reconfigure his his viewpoint or his perception rather from the fan base from the league wide and get back to playing baseball. Do we man. know what it was? It was he, some. It was some. He. I think he said something about an allergy or something like that. He was using allergies. On the list of PEDs, that's bullshit. I agree, but it was it was something that actually is performance enhancing. It is something that does help you stay healthy. It's it's very it's very similar. That's terrible. Why would he do that? You don't. You're you're (laughs) preaching the fucking choir here. You know you're preaching the choir here. I'm just saying though, when you know that this is going to knock you for 80 games and you take that risk, yeah, it's negligence on his side as well. But this is why I think the MLB is a dying sport, though, in my mind. Like. the, the the crackdown on, on performance enhancing thing is such a it's such an old school like get off my lawn type Pure of standpoint. type of approach yeah. to a sport that's dying. If we're being honest, man, the MLB is dying compared to what it used to be. Mm-hmm. So I, I there's a lot of things in my mind that, that get knocked as performance enhancing, and if it's performance enhancing, who cares? Like there's always there's always edges. Everybody tries to get on other people. You know what I mean? Like especially if, like it's a player that's having nagging injuries and is trying to recover. We all know Peyton Manning. Got a new neck and, and, and mysteriously was great the next season. At, at, I love how you say the new a new neck. The new, yeah, he went to Mexico, man. Like he got stem cells. Like, I think I think I think the MLB. I think the MLB. What aisle, what aisle is your next at? Yeah. Aisle five. Thank you. Where's I your mean, next? Uh, no, like I just I, I feel like it's it that's becoming more of a part of modern day sports. Even like the psychedelic stuff with Aaron Rodgers, like all these things that are a part of human nature that we 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 strive to find ways to better ourselves and find an edge to be a better version of ourselves in the sport that we love or the, or actors, you know, uh, experimenting with drugs to really sell a role. Like all these things it's it's all a part of art, man. Like we have to really really adapt as a community, especially but the, I think the MLB is going to be the sport that's left in the dust because it's such a traditional, you know, uh just uh, so stuck in its own, its head is so far up its own ass. You know, it's 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 just smelling its own farts all day long, and it's just really frustrating to see that this the league doesn't really want to adapt. And the the purity, although the best era of of that that pure sport was when there was performance enhancing drugs just pumping through the veins of it. That was the you know the home run era with you know, all those guys, so so all them. That was the best. That was the golden era of baseball, and it was, there was never more drugs in the sport at the, than at that time. You know, what I mean, so that. I don't. I just don't. If it's a safe thing, if these players can take safe things and it doesn't affect their personal health, longevity, and and, and vitality, all these things, I don't understand why it's such a frowned on thing. But at eighty, 
What, 88 games? 80, no, 80, 80 games. 80 games. That's rough, man, for a young guy like that. I, and granted, you have to play within the law of the sport that you know, you're know you within, and I get it. That's negligence on his side. But I really think the MLB, this is a call to the MLB. If they really want to showcase their young players and, and, and market their guys, like cracking on and stuff like this is just – and especially random tests. and the, I don't know. I, I, I'm already kind of an outsider with the MLB. I don't like the way they do a lot of things in that sport it's a great sport but like a lot of this the, the, the politics within it is just really frustrating um and it, it really kills the marketability of, of their young talented guys so uh he took a medicine that contained clost hmm. and it is a synthetic steroid. it's a synthetic anabolic androgenic steroid yeah, that yeah. essentially mimics testosterone yeah so he's just so, he's just trying to recover and yeah you know. he was juicing that's he pretty was, much he was yeah it's exactly what DeAndre what Hopkins we talked about DeAndre Hopkins when he got hurt in November yeah all of a sudden that There's, test yeah. comes positive right at that time There's he was pattern. hurt yeah exactly and I don't yeah. see I don't I just don't have a problem with that I guys, don't guys you know are trying, I don't you know I don't are, why I mean and dude we I, I was listening to a couple podcasts like the NBA is actually really lenient on that one guys are hurt they will. There's actually. I've heard reports that they allow guys to take certain types of steroids and testosterone to help recover and get them back. Dude, as much as we praise LeBron, good for the product. as much as we praise LeBron, are we really going to sit here and pretend like he isn't helping him? I'm not sitting here saying, hey, let He's me clarify. He spends a million dollars on his body every offseason. I'm not saying LeBron takes roids or anything. I'm saying that clearly, to your point, Trevor, the NBA is allowing especially him in his older age. Just testosterone. That is a star league. We all know that's a star league. You got to have your stars. And it works. Like, look at the the NBA is thriving right now with Mark. Ability and sales and shoes and podcasts and all these yeah. things like it's adapting to the times, man. Right. Like, and it's 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 a part of art. And I think the NBA is one of the best at showcasing their guys. And I, yeah, I think the MLB funny. can definitely learn from that. I'm reading this article and it says that the reason why the, the MLB start cracking down like on steroids yeah. is because the MLB home run record was broken twice in the span of three years. Yeah, and then Jose. But Canseco, then they changed the baseballs well, up to where they're more easy. Yeah, you know, it, yeah, exactly. Put a pill in it, yeah. and then Jose Canseco. Uh, came out and became a whistleblower. He became like the Snowden of MLB, and then that's when like, oh, we gotta care now. Yeah. We gotta care now because the purists, yeah. the purists, like that's what they're worried about. They, they, for some reason, MLB, they they're more worried about the people they're gonna watch anyway than the people that aren't. Like casuals are the ones you need to go after. That's why the NFL is so great. Yeah, that's the because numbers. you get them with fantasy football, you get them with betting, you get them with all the other intricacies outside of just the game mm. that people want to flock to it. Like people that don't even follow the NFL very exclusively play fantasy football. They bet on games. Absolutely. They may not even care well, about the, the NFL, about but they want to make is, money. Baseball you know, was the original fantasy sport. Exactly. Everyone used to bet on baseball Dude, and baseball play is America's pastime. Yeah. It's the first great sport of this country. Yeah. And they have found a way to squander it two years as points about how the NBA is leaning on rules like that. The NBA, the NFL gets marketing. They get the, the how to how to get the casuals. Baseball is so concerned about protecting the integrity of the game. There is no integrity of the game because back when Babe Ruth was playing, the dude was slamming hot dogs and whiskey in the dugout and having sex with women in the in the clubhouse. The good old days. There was no one. Yeah, exactly. The damn good old days. Boy, <laughs> you know, we run around days. like this, and yeah. you don't have have wool jerseys on. Like you yeah. know, it, it was the, yes, there was never a time where the game was the good old days. There was never a time where I this think, was actually a thing. Now it's I, pure, okay? Yeah, now it's, yeah, purify the I game. Think, I think the MLB could find a way to allow certain performance PEDs. It's like such a curse word. I, I don't understand it. Like, there's... In normal life, it's not even a big deal. People, like, any any guy over 40 can go get 
testosterone to help his vitality and his overall quality of life, and it helps with everything. So if any any guy in the MLB wants kind of some kind of edge, I don't understand. Like I think they could find a medium to where they can allow it to be a part of the game. But like if someone's going over a certain dose and it's harmful, harmful, harmful to their personal health, or you know they're they're not listening to their trainers or blah blah blah, and they're going over the dose, that can be an issue. But I don't understand like not allowing it to be a part of the game. I just don't. Well, I don't... I, my favorite thing that I've ever heard, and we're we're gonna move on from after this. I I said that, uh, this is the funniest thing I've ever heard. They cheated the game. Who did they cheat? Right. Were we all not loving the hell out of baseball at the time that McGuire and Sosa Bonds were going after yeah, the I mean, We're going to act like there were nobodies before they really started taking off with the Yeah, health. that. thank you. They're First all great. Barry Bonds already. was a Hall of Fame player long before the steroid era came about. nobody into and an absolute like, all-time player. It thank never you. happens. Here's the other part of it. Who did they cheat because the league was doing it all together? Right. Almost every single star player, we could almost pr- – there were over 114 names on the Balco list. 114. You're going to tell me right now that those guys, a majority of those guys, weren't already awesome baseball players? They were in the majors. Yeah. You know how hard it is to get to the major leagues? It's almost impossible. So you already have to be a badass to be at that level. So for you to use, it's for sustainability and performance. Obviously, it's going to help you hit the ball five, ten feet, five or ten feet longer. Yeah. But if you're already a guy that can hit the ball 420 feet, what difference does that make? You're already hitting home runs. Barry Bonds is already a 300-300 guy before we knew that he was taking steroids. By the way, it has never been proven. And it's funny to me that we demonize guys like Barry Bonds, who's still not in the Hall of Fame, which is unbelievably stupid. But guys like Tom Brady can still be called the GOAT. When we know he has three, at least three different cheating scandals he's directly attached to. Isn't that funny how that works? The NFL, we don't like hold that against guys like Tom Brady or Bill Belichick who are both called the GOATs at their at their respective places. But Barry Bonds still can't make the, the, the Hall of Fame in the major leagues because of the fact that, well, we know he took steroids. Man, so what kind of cheating really matters? What, like, some cheating matters, but some don't. It doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever because we all know Tom Brady will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Right. Bill Belichick will be a first ballot Hall of Famer, even though we can actually prove these dudes have cheated the game. So why doesn't that matter? It's just funny to me. But nevertheless, yeah. we have one more, order, one more order of business to get to. Guys, what's it called? Hold this L. L. Each and every week, we finish off each and every series of uh, uh, every episode with a series of L's in the world of sports, whether they're friendly or not friendly L's in the world of sports. We promise you, whoever is holding those L's, Deserve those L's. Mr. Eddie Ortiz, Mr. Yo, Yo, Yo. Who's holding the L for you this week, and why is it F1? It's not F1. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to give a, a, a L. I'm not going to give a W out this this weekend. I'm going to take this time and, and you know, uh, talk about Lynn Dawson, who, who went into hospice this this week. Uh, I believe his wife, his, uh, his family, put out a statement pretty much saying that they... they, they, they no, no. They requested uh, some privacy in this in this yeah. moment in time. An all-time great chief, uh, bringing the first Super Bowl to Kansas City, uh, was a Super Bowl four, Super Bowl MVP, uh, probably arguably the best picture <laughs> you the could ever. Yeah, the, the 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 greatest picture, and I'm sure everybody in the NFL knows that picture of Len Dawson smoking in the in the locker room just. Chilling, you know, smoking, smoking the, the sidelines yeah. with the Coca Cola, with this, with this fresco, fresco. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It, it's sad. Um, it, it it's <coughs> such a difficult time. Uh, obviously, for Chiefs fans, for football fans in general, seeing one of the greats, uh, a Hall of Famer, obviously, be put in hospice, and I just want to take this time and you know 
uh, I wish their family nothing but the best. Uh, my heart is with them, and yeah, he's lived a life, man. He's, he's that guy. He's how old is he now? He's in his eighties, isn't he? I believe he's uh, eighty-seven. Yeah. yeah so I want to. Yeah. Uh, thank you for bringing that Super Bowl to Kansas City. Thank you for for rooting for the Chiefs. The legend. Man. Since since I've since I've known Doug Dawson, he's been a Chiefs fan. I'm a, he's talked to Patrick Mahomes multiple times. Uh, Patrick Mahomes actually broke, I, I believe, a couple of his records. So, uh, yeah, man, it's it's very sad to see. Uh, but like I said, I wish their fa- his family nothing but the best. Mm. Trevor sure. Twidwell, who, who, uh, who's holding the L for you, man? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up that that story and uh, bring some light to it because anytime I get a chance to shit on the Broncos, I mean, damn no, I'm gonna do it or anybody in this division. Um, so we all know that you know little while ago that the Broncos made that record-breaking sale. They sold the team for, what, uh, $4.65 $4. million. Billion, yeah, billion dollars. Yeah, billion yeah. dollars. So, I mean, that was a hefty, hefty amount of money there that they're throwing around. Um, but this is going to go to a guy that we've always despised, most of our, any of our fandom as far as being Chiefs fans, John Elway. Uh, the most famous figure in Denver Broncos history reportedly had the chance to acquire um, a 20% ownership stake in the franchise that helped uh, build helped he helped build at the end of his career worth 36 million. Um, it was worth 36 million at that to- at that time, which is not a lot of money for him at that time. I'm sure he's worth a whole lot more than that. Uh, apparently, he turned it down at the time when it was offered to him. Um, obviously, and the team sold for 4.6 billion dollars. Uh, that's so that that 30 million 36 million that he would have uh, been a part of and invested in it would have been worth 930 million today so I mean you could do the math I mean going you know investing if I invest thirty dollars into something and I get damn near a thousand back it's a pretty good deal mm-hmm. right so he's he, he would have been he, he probably would have won with the position he's at now because he would have been I mean that's just all-time generational wealth right there so uh, the, it says, the, let me just finish reading this article. The Hall of Famer's name immediately started trending once the word got out. Um, he could have beaten out Bobby Bobby Benella as the best contract ever, one user replied. So I just want to, I just want to, you know, the, the savvy businessman that John Elway is, and, you know, everyone's been, you know, he got all this praise when he brought, you know, arguably the GOAT quarterback uh, position, Peyton Manning, over. And, you know, he's been, since then, he's done absolute nothing. Um, and now he's, you know, trying to change the stars once again by bringing another great retread quarterback. And, uh, and unfortunately, it's in a division where Mahomes exists. Um, I just want to take the time to anytime, like I said, anytime I can to to, you know, take a nice, hot, warm one on top of the, the Broncos or anybody in this division, especially John Elway, you know, donkey teeth himself. Um, yeah. So for that, for that L, that massive L took there, that uh, that uh 36 million chump change you could have invested to make damn near a billion. Uh, do me a solid favor, Mr. John Elway. <laughs> Yeehaw. Himself. Do me a favor and hold this L. God damn. I, I don't That's like well it. That's well done. That's well done. Uh, yeah, I'm glad Eddie said something I uh, uh, in regards to Lynn, Lynn Dawson, uh, because that was actually something I was going to do as well before I handed out an L. Uh, God damn it, guys! Just gonna list off some things that Lynn Dawson did in his career, and then I want to I want to say something about his after career. So, 
these are some of his highlights and awards. He was a Super Bowl MVP, obviously, Super Bowl champion, NFL Man of the Year in 1973, uh, made the Pro Bowl when the Pro Bowl first started up. Uh, he was an NFL completion percentage leader in 1975. He was a three-time AFL champion, uh, AFL champion MVP, AFL MVP, two-time first All-NFL, second-team All-NFL, six-time AFL All-Star, four-time four time AFL passing touchdowns leader, six-time AFL passer rating leader, seven-time AFL completion percentage leader, AFL all-time team, Kansas City Chiefs Hall of Fame, and the number 16 is retired in Kansas City. Um, he threw over 28, almost 29,000 yards. He threw for over 239 touchdowns. And he was, in my opinion, one of those guys that was ahead of his time. I think if Lynn played in today's NFL, he definitely could have been putting up competitive numbers. I, I kind of I compare him to like a Matt Ryan, mm. a guy that just very accurate quarterback, tall, uh, not exactly mobile, but he could get out and he could create something poised. if he really needed to. Very poised, yeah. a guy that had a long NFL career and AFL career, one of the originals. Yeah. A He's guy a part that, of the merger, man. Yeah, like he, he, he definitely he definitely helped out. But the 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 greatest thing about I think Lynn is the fact that he. He's one of those athletes that was great at not just being a football player, but a football presence, if that makes sense. Where you know you have your John Mens, a guy that knew football, was a really good, really good player, a really good coach, still has the highest win percentage in NFL history, and then took off. After that, he became a legend, a mogul. Now you can't talk about the story of football without. I don't know. I don't know why Lynn Dawson doesn't get more credit for that part of his career because of the fact that for forty years. He was in that side of things. He was talking about the game. I remember being a really young kid. Um, I saw the tail end of his career, but back when uh, HBO's Inside the NFL, he was one of the main contributors to that show, and that was one of the first like really groundbreaking shows where guys that knew the game really sat and talked about it. And Lynn was one of those first guys. He stopped doing that. He did that from 1977 to 2001, uh, and and uh, he was on a a a NBC's AFC coverage from 1977 to 1982, and then from 1985 to 2017, he was the color commentary analyst for the Chiefs radio broadcast team, and he did that all the way until. Uh, in 2009, he announced that he would step down anchoring on a nightly basis but still report for KNBC during the Chiefs football season. And so it, it, all these accomplishments I talk about from his NFL years playing, he did just as much after the game. And I don't know, like, again, I don't know why he doesn't get more praise for that because I'm not saying he was as big of a figure globally or nationally as, as John Madden. Nobody was. John Madden is the reason why the NFL what is what it is. He popularized the game like no one else could or ever will. But that doesn't take away from people like Lynn Dawson, who influenced so many people with both his performance on and off the field. And I don't want to talk about the man as if he's he's already gone, but we do know that those days are coming soon for him. And, and his family, I, I heard from them. I never met Lynn personally, at least as an adult. Um, but I do know the impact he had on my town, my city, than the people that I grew up admiring because I knew the stories and what people have told me. And although the, the picture's real cool of him with the fresca smoking the cigarette on the sidelines of school, what I'll forever remember about him is the fact that this man genuinely loved this city and stayed here for the better part of his entire life. And that's that means something to me because I love this city that I live in. It's, it's all I know. It's the city I'm from. It's the city I grew up in. And he's been such a key figure and a titan in this city for as long as I've been alive. 
And I, I just I can't praise him enough for what he did. And I, I wish nothing but the sincerest best uh, for his family. So I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and double down on what Eddie said on that. I don't want to steal your thunder, but that's that's definitely something I definitely feel. But I also feel like giving out an L to end this show on a high note. Because, uh, you know, there's this new hype that's out there right now about the new media, right? And this is something that I'm, I'm very much enjoying. I, I still am a... a, a, a seemingly young guy i'm still i'm in my my 30s now and everything like that but i really do enjoy this new arrogance of 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 people that are calling this new media thing a real thing and guys like draymond green are really putting themselves in the line of fire because of takes that they seemingly think are not only untouchable but are actually in unison with their previous takes. So what I mean by this is, so he, uh, so Draymond Green went on a podcast this week. I think it actually may have been his own podcast, and he was asked a question about whether he would take Carmelo Anthony or Kevin Durant as a pure score. This is his response: Carmelo or Durant in their prime, who is the better scorer? Scorer only. Who? Carmelo or Durant in their prime? actually this in specific we were playing against him at the garden it had to be my first or second year in the league and Melo caught the ball in the post he faced up on me put his shoulder into my chest I may have fouled him a little bit maybe not and he went through my chest and I got the stop he missed I maybe fouled him maybe not he turned around to the referee call the fucking foul we go back down the court come back down he did the exact same move the next play and made the referee call the foul. And the reason why that's such a big deal to me is because as a scorer, you like you go into slumps, you have bad shooting nights. And the one thing that breaks score slumps can be a free throw. And just knowing that Melo could get to the free throw line like that, that's why I'm going to pick Melo. But, man, that's a pickup for real. Okay. I, I'm not opposed to somebody having that opinion. I completely disagree with it. I'm going to break down why that opinion is 100% wrong. But I, if that's your opinion, that's fine. The, the confusing part about this is that's not even Draymond's opinion. You know why I know that? Because a year before that podcast came out, just a year before, this is him on NBA on TNT. Kevin Durant's the best scorer, by the way. And I had Jaw. For- oh, no. Kevin, the best scorer ever. Not even close. In this in this era. Not no disrespect to James, but Kevin Durant is the best scorer ever. Right, hold, 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 hold. Let me play that one more time. You guys, you guys want to hear that one more time? Yeah. Let me play Kevin, it. Durant's the best scorer, by the way. And I had Jaw. For- oh no, Kevin, the best scorer ever. Not even close. In this in this not era. even close. Not no disrespect to James, but Kevin Durant is the best scorer ever. I, I didn't hear Carmelo Anthony is the best <laughs> scorer ever. I, I heard Kevin Durant. That's that's wild. How it's a, it's how can you up. not be better than somebody else in your prime, but the best? score ever um and and i will give some numbers here because i'm not just trying to shit on draymond's opinion and just leave it there it's not baseless here you guys know i'm the numbers guy so kevin durant not only averages more points per game than carmelo anthony for his career 27 to 23 Mm -hmm. shoots a higher field goal percentage 50 to 45 and despite playing in five fewer seasons and in less than is is less than three thousand points behind carmelo for ninth all time not to mention the fact 
that Kevin Durant has shot over 50% from the field for nine straight seasons while averaging at least 25 points per game, which, by the way, is the NBA record. Yep. Over Michael Jordan, LeBron, anybody you name. Mm -hmm. That is the greatest accomplishment of KD's career, in my opinion. Melo has not only never shot for 50% in a single season. 45. But he hasn't averaged 25 points per game in almost a decade. Yeah. It's been eight years since he's <laughs> even averaged 25 a game, whereas Kevin Durant's on his way to having 10 straight seasons of not only averaging 25 a game, but shooting over 50% from the field, which is something Melo's never even done. And it's, it's fitting that Draymond would use a personal experience against Melo that's a one instance, a one-off, to determine, determine who was the better overall scorer in their prime. I'm sorry, one moment. This is why I hate the whole, like, well, he's not a better player because in this scenario, who would you rather have? It's not about just individual scenarios. It's about the body of work that I look to, longevity, yes. consistency. Melo may have had a cool moment. You know, where he does the cool thing when he hits a three every once in a while. He was an inefficient scorer in his career, and he had a very small window in comparison to guys like Kevin Durant as far as being an elite scorer. So this is an absurd take, and it doesn't even make sense, and it's hypocritical because Mr. New Media himself didn't even, didn't even stand consistent with his actual take. So for that and New Media, Draymond Green, do me a solid and hold this L. Yeah, it's, that's a terrible take. Fun show today, as always, guys. Um, we want to, again, extend our gratitude and appreciation to one Marcus Dash from Chief Concerns Podcast. Him, Jason Dunn, Eric Warfield have an incredible thing going on over there. They have one of the few shows out there, like I said, that give you the insight of both somebody who studies the game and the people that have played the game. It's a it's a very good combination they have going on over there. They're incredible with the video. They do incredible, like I said, it's very quality content from both the perspective side and from the visual side. They do really, really well. I highly recommend you guys go follow them if you haven't already, and I really appreciate them coming on and jumping on and hanging out with us today. We got a lot more guests lined up, guys. We have some great guests coming around, guys, that you've seen before, and maybe you have not seen before, but this season's going to be awesome. Man, we are so close, guys. We're a couple weeks away from our prediction show. I hope you all are ready, because that's my favorite show ever every single year mm. to just see how wrong Eddie and Trevor are going to be. Yeah. And I'm really excited to see how right I'm going to be again. But once oh, again, but yeah. for everybody that's been tagging along, like I said, if you've not already done it, hit us up on YouTube, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We really would appreciate yeah, that. We, we are start, growing. We want to start having more interaction during the YouTube streams. We want yes. to start putting, like, if you guys have questions, we want to be able to put them on the screen to have more interactions. We might do a separate show or something to have more Q&A, but that's... For, you know, tell your friends. Yes. You know, start sharing our stuff and put our stuff out there. We're trying to just get the... We're trying to monetize our show, you know, moving forward. So that's kind of the goal. We're wanting to move towards the YouTube side of things so we can have more interaction with, with you guys. Yes. You know, with, the, with you know, everybody's, the, the viewers. So we'll, we'll, we'll start getting questions and we'll start getting, like, more comments, like, and we'll put them on the screen. So, you know, so they can see their, their comments and their questions on the yeah. screen so we can kind of have a more interactive part yeah. of that. We want we, more of that. We, so. the, the, the Facebook group has grown exponentially. We're yeah. well over 2,000 members now. Uh, we have a good following on Twitter. We're the working Instagram on some following. Yes. stuff. We got some, yeah, we got some good branding logos and things like that coming about. But, yeah, we definitely need your guys' help, and we're not ashamed to ask for that because that's what it's all about here, and we appreciate everything you guys already do. That's just something we're lo definitely looking forward to as well. Like Trevor said and like Chris Tucker said in uh, Rush tell Hour, your tell your friends about me. <laughs> so definitely do that. We Appreciate all you guys. Uh, so for Trevor Twidwell, for Mr. Yo-Yo-Yo, Eddie Ortiz, for the great Clay Wendler that puts all this stuff together on the back end of things, for the great Marcus Dash of Chief Concern Podcast, I am Lance Twidwell. Episode 179 of The, po the Spoken is done, finished in finito. And until we're here next week for 180, we out of this bitch.
We're going to get out of this bitch. Thank you so much for listening, guys. See ya. You are tuned in to the Spoken. I might actually stick. I might actually stick around for a little bit.